Life is full of personal wins. Whether it's cleaning your house, getting that dream car, or checking off your to-do list, winning at life is a great feeling. And with the State Farm Personal Price Plan, you can keep winning when you create an affordable price just for you by bundling home and auto. So give yourself a round of applause. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with a personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. Most weight loss plans are one size fits all, not taking into account each person's individual needs. Noom is built for your psychology and your biology, meeting you where you are. Noom Weight uses psychology. That's why they say losing weight starts with your brain. But it also takes into account your unique biological factors, which also affect weight loss success. The program helps you understand the science behind your eating choices and why you have cravings. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com. Plus, check out Noom's first-ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for 100 healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available for pre-order wherever books are sold. Welcome, wary audio traveler, to the Nerdist Podcast episode number 219. Hey, guess who's sponsoring the Nerdist Podcast this episode, Katie Levine? Who? (laughs) Well... It's cool that you're pretending that you don't know because you just told me who it was. Uh, It's our buddy Scott Ackerman, Comedy Bang Bang. You should listen to his podcast. You should also watch the television version of Comedy Bang Bang every Friday at 10, 9 central on IFC. Uh, If you haven't seen it yet, it's just basically an absurd half-hour comedy talk show. Uh, It looks like a talk show, but it's really... It's it's absurd as comedy talk show. It it doesn't fucking matter. It's funny. You should watch it because it's funny. And Scott has amazing guests on. Reggie Watts is his goddamn band. Reggie Watts is his band. Why would you need to hear anything else? Uh, Amy Poehler, Zach Galifianakis, Seth Rogen... Um, uh, this Friday, Amy sits down with Scott and uh, talks about her feud with Mad Magazine. <laughs> We've all had one. All of us. I was uh, I got I got parodied by Mad Magazine in the late '90s, Katie, and I think I was. Uh, uh, oh, my Mad Magazine name was Dis Hard Up. <laughs> Dis Hard Up. That's it's good writing. However you look at it, Dis Hard Up. And I think Jenny McCarthy was Jammy McAirhead. <laughs> so they went a little more on the nose with that one. Uh, but anyway, Comedy Bang Bang, every Friday, 10, 9 central. Please watch it. Support podcasters doing stuff on television. Uh, and Scott's great. So uh, hope you enjoy it. I'm sure you will. Hey, here's a fun thing. If you uh, live in Northern California or feel like going to Northern California next week, um, Dr. Stephen Hawking, perhaps you've heard of him. And Dr. Kip Thorne are speaking at an event um, presented by the Institute for Science, Engineering, and Public Policy uh, called Out of a Black Hole. That's Tuesday, June 19th, 2012. So if you go to isepp.org, you can get information on tickets, how to go that. And when you go to the link for tickets, if you enter the code GALAXY, you'll get 10% off the tickets. Just a fun thing, I thought. Uh, I wish I could be there. I cannot go uh, next Tuesday. Because I'm going to Atlanta for reasons that may involve zombies. I don't know. Everything is crazy. But uh, if I weren't, I would absolutely go to this event and uh, and see Stephen Hawking. However do you get to see Stephen Hawking in your life, live, in person? This could be it. So uh, check it out, isepp.org. And now this episode 
Uh, this was, uh, this is a really personal episode for me, and I, you know, it's not, I, I'm not, well, <laughs> I'm a little uncomfortable about super, super, super personal stuff. Like, really, really personal stuff. This is, uh, I went to Memphis a couple weeks ago and visited with my dad, uh, who's 70, and, uh, but still a firecracker, that guy, professional bowler Billy Hardwick. And I thought, you know, I'll just sit down and talk, record a conversation with him. And it was unbelievable. I mean, I, I, and I had no idea the effect it would have on him, but he, afterwards, he, he talked about it for the next several days. Like, I can't believe we just, like, it was so amazing to just sit down and talk. We haven't just sat down and talked like that in so long about anything of substance. And so, that's just my advice to you, uh, you know, as your parents get older, Sit down and talk to him like you're doing a podcast because <laughs> when you're just having a conversation, it's very, you know, small talky. What are you doing? How's it going? Uh, any movies you see? But when you kind of treat it like you're sort of interviewing your parents, it forces you to dig a little bit deeper and you learn a ton of shit about them that you didn't know, not just about their history, but just just them as people. Uh, this this happened to me a long time ago, but it is a weird sen- it's a weird sensation when you kind of have that realization of like, oh yeah, my parents are just two people who had sex and spit out a kid. Like they're just people, you know. Like you you think of them as these super beings, and in a lot of ways they are to you. But but it's also um, you know when you when you when you really kind of draw out their humanity, it uh, it's it's unbelievable to connect with them on that level and you learn a lot about them and about yourself and maybe why you do some of the things you do and you see it's a, talking to your parents is a little bit like getting your own origin story uh, with that even without being so on the nose as the facts but just sort of like the way that they process information and the things that they went through and then you, you kind of realize like hey uh, I'm not so alone I'm not so alone and sometimes things that I've been looking for just out in the world happen to exist with my parents, like both my parents, my mom and my dad are just amazing to talk to. Uh, but this one's for Father's Day, so sorry to ramble on and on. This was just a really special one for me, and I hope you, I hope you enjoy it. And I sincerely hope, you know, if you, if you have the ability to, that you can uh, pick up the phone and call a parent or a loved one and just say, "Hey, let's just talk and just get to know each other a little better." Uh, all right. Oh, sappy sap sap sap. Uh, it's the Nerdist Podcast number 219 with professional bowler Billy Hardwick, my dad. Now entering Nerdist.com. Really is. You're talking somebody can't even turn on a computer, so this is really fascinating to me. Why don't you have email yet? Um, why don't I have email? It's really a simple question. Um, laziness to begin with. When I first put the uh, Automax card in my bowling center, I chose not to go to the school because I found out one person at a time could work, and I was in the way, so I just never took the time and. I would rather talk to somebody on the telephone, hear the influx in their voice instead of trying to read between the lines. But basically, just lazy, and <laughs> that's the only answer I got. Are you ever going to get on email? Uh, hopefully. I'm the kind of guy, I've got, you know, I'm one of these ADD guys that I can't 
you know, if I don't interrupt you, I'm going to forget what I'm going to say. Always been that way, just didn't realize it. And uh, sometimes I say I got it so bad I can't remember the letters. You know, it's really, uh, it's, it's, it's one of the kind of things that I can't read directions on how to pump gas. But if you show me, I can do it. I mean, it just doesn't comprehend, it doesn't sink in, plus I don't listen. I sit there talking to you and I just don't pay attention. And the only way I survived on tour was people have their names on their shirts. I think the world should have their names on their shirts because it's so much easier. Of course, you get tired of looking at people's breasts when you type out what their name is, but you know, it's <laughs> part of the deal. Be careful not to hit your hands on the counter because it'll make, it'll make a noise in the thing. Um, it's pretty exciting because uh, we're in Memphis now and I just drove across country, which was really fun. Um, and uh, you, the bowling center where I grew up, is now it, it, is this the 30th anniversary 30th anniversary June 1st oh shit that feels so weird that feels weird well it was because you were 10 at the time we were going through the what no I was I, I was born that year what are you fucking yeah, talking right. about yeah really okay. I, was t- I was just born I, I was born in the bowling center right yeah, 30th anniversary is hard to believe and, and it, the, the funny part about the story was I was a retired pro bowler and there are no jobs for retired pro bowlers because People know you're going to, as soon as you get another sponsor, you're going back on tour. And the day I got to Bowling Center, I had uh, a, uh, some investors that, that, that I'd convinced to put the money up to give me a chance. And I had a check for $100,000 to give the guy I was buying the Bowling Center from. And if he doesn't sign the papers, I couldn't have taken you and your mom through McDonald's for lunch because I couldn't have only two nickels to together. Oh, shit. It was like I was borrowing from uh, MasterCard to pay Visa. It was about $40,000 in debt and really just didn't have a clue. And uh, it was just one of them kind of things that jumped in, did about 90 hours a week and just loved it and still do. I just started love being around the game to people. I didn't know. I don't know if I, well, at the time, I certainly wouldn't have known that because I was pretty young. So uh, I, I, don't think I, I don't think I really sensed anything was really wrong when I was a kid. Well, you know, that's why you, know, you have a half dozen credit cards. You just max them all out and just keep going until they say no. And, you know, <laughs> at one point, and it really did happen, I got a call. Uh, I was in Nebraska, and I had owed one of the credit cards or a bank. I think I owed a bank $5,000. And I was in Nebraska, some little town, doing an exhibition. And your mom calls me and she says, uh, they took all the money out of the account. I did not know this, but I owed the bank 5000 I just got up to 5000 and they were worried about collecting their debt. So they took the money and then sent the letter. Oh, shit. Saying that, uh, <laughs> you know, that they didn't feel comfortable about the loan. And so the, the town, I believe it was Grand Prairie. I forget one town, some town in Nebraska. And the... Uh, the owner of the bowling center made me a sub sandwich and I had to take a bus to Denver to get in the airport uh, to catch the plane because you know just didn't have like I didn't have anything and I'm sitting next to a, a girl that was on the way to San Francisco she was uh, you know just coming to visit the country and she had things written out for me to read so she could just communicate I just gave her my sandwich I said well you know this is a whole lot tougher what she's doing than what I'm getting ready to go through and I just you know came back and started over Wow. Did you, um, uh, let's just go back to the beginning though of your, when you started, like, how, why did you start working at a bowling center? Like, how did you even get involved in, in bowling? To well, I, I was sixth man on the varsity basketball team in high school. I went to Hillsdale High, the same school as Dick Vermeil, who coached, uh, uh, Super Bowl and, and, you know, it was, it was right down from Sarah where Tom Brady and, you know, just a really good area outside of 20 miles from San Francisco. 
and they opened a bowling center. I was raised in a project. It was a place called Candlestick Cove. We had the city dumping the projects, and they had to. Uh, uh, we had to move because they had to tear it down and build Candlestick Park uh, for the 49ers and the, the Giants uh, at the time were playing. And uh, so we moved, and when I went uh, to the school, Hillsdale High in San Mateo, uh, everybody I met was good in sports, and I was always the last one picked. You know, I could play, in the, but I was always the last. I was the 10th grade. I was five foot two, 99 pounds. I was really little. Uh, it was just uh, one of the kind of things. And, and I'm familiar with the dynamic. Yeah, and when we uh, uh, opened a bowling center, I went down there because I wanted to just beat the guys that I went to school with. They were all really good athletes. I just wanted to beat them. And they offered me a job at $1.65 an hour. I was the janitor, and I was uh, going to school full-time and working 35 hours a week. I never saw bed for 2 o'clock in the morning. And and one of, there was three owners, and the, the nighttime owner was in the bar, and he was always trying to pick up ladies. So I'd have to mop the floors and stuff, and he'd be in there. He'd fire me. I got fired seven times because he'd fire me in the daytime. He'd hire me back. You know, it was just, that was just the way it was. I just, you know, but I, you know, I'd sleep in class. I was always, I was just so fascinated by it because I was really a shy kid. Nobody believes that as much as I talk now, but I was so shy I couldn't talk to anybody. Oh, I remember. I saw early videos. I mean, I saw early films of you, like, being interviewed on the tour when you were a kid, when you were, like, 20 or 22, and you couldn't, you barely couldn't could speak. talk. I couldn't speak. I know the, the year I won the tournament champions, um, uh, I was so nervous and scared of, of going that I got dressed and the last thing I always did was put my aftershave on, but I forgot to shave, you know, so I had to, to start the process all over. But I was so shy and people used to think I was stuck up, but I was afraid to talk because I was never raised around uh, the affection, the love, the eye, the, all, all that kind of stuff. It was, you know, and, and I will honestly say I'm 70 now. The three years I was janitor was the happiest three years of my life. Really? Because I was developing a personality I was meeting all these people that were just really just all blue collar. We all worked, you know, and I said, I was the janitor and, you know, that's just what I did. I was, uh, and the better I bowled, the more people talked to me. And it just got to a point where one year I was, uh, I was 154 and I was high average, you know, and then a guy from the next town came down, he had a 180 average. I said, well, that ain't right. So I just worked. It was just a progression of beating, uh, the guys in the area and they were, uh, it was just so it was just such a big family you know we had all these people the, the mechanic the bartender um, the, the guy that worked at the snack bar the desk man and myself and I was a janitor and and the world champions came in to want to bowl uh, wanted us to pace them to bowl along while they were trying to qualify for the next world championship and we beat them by 300 pins so oh, we, shit. yeah it was just uh, but it was it, also a period of time when people like when people actually <laughs> respected bowling. <laughs> yeah, well, it's the truth. It, it was because it, at the time we did it, there was only ABC, NBC, CBS, and uh, so there there was no competition. And this is before they unionized baseball and football. So at, at the time when I was number one in the world, the uh, I was making the same salary as uh, baseball, football, and basketball players. I was making thirty something thousand a year, which was their average salary. And like today, you can still only get a thousand people in a bowling center, and you can get twenty or thirty thousand in a golf tournament. And it's just, uh, it's just a financial thing. We're the blue collar people. We just are. Like right now, my, in my bowling center, I've got one hundred fifty thousand people a year go through the door. They're, you know, they're they're the workers. And and when I wanted to go on tour, I had tried uh, some people I was close with, put the money up, and I went seventeen tournaments and never made a nickel. And 
Uh, I was just last. I was in. I mean, it's like 20 years old. I'm in awe. I've got the Don Carter, Dick Weber, all the great players around me, and I'm watching these guys. And I was a spectator, paying uh, you know, spending $300 a week to you know, we would uh, uh, 12, hotel rooms $12 a night, and we'd get four guys, and we do box spring mattress, box spring mattress, or over under. One guy under the sheet, one guy over the sheet. But you know, for $3 <laughs> a night, you know, it, it worked pretty good. Entry fees were 100 bucks, and we could live on less than $10 a day. Um, was my grandfather, I mean, I knew him, but I didn't know him well. Uh, was he an asshole? Oh, no, absolutely not. He's one of the nicest people I ever met in my life. No, not oh, my, my, oh, my, <laughs> your father. Oh, my, oh, yeah, my father was, yeah. <laughs> I wasn't oh, talking yeah. about, my mother's uh, father was no, a saint. No, no, he was, yeah. I, no, I knew we were talking about, are you kidding <laughs> No, I'm me? talking about Hubert. Yeah, Hubert was really, he was one of these, if, if people ever heard of all the family, Archie Bunker, he was Archie Bunker. He, he never said, I love you. He didn't have affection. He just didn't. He just was not capable of, of, of doing anything. And uh, I remember the first time that he uh, came to watch me bowl, uh, I was not allowed the bowling center, so I'd sneak out at night, but I could go to work and that kind of stuff. But I'd sneak out, come home three or four o'clock. You mean he home. didn't want you going to the bowling center? Yeah, I thought it was, you know, it just because he's an asshole. I mean, that was just, <laughs> that's just because, you know. Yeah. And then I got the job and it, and it changed. Then he started reading about me. So he uh, came up to watch me one night, and I was like, wow, because the best bowlers in San Francisco were there. It's a really big deal. And I went down and went, strike, strike, and I left one pin standing, ten pin. And he said, you stink, got him walked out the door. Oh, Jesus. You know, right in front of, you know, all you know, the people that I'm really trying to get to know. And I was at the time, I think, 18, and I was just really becoming challenging to be the best and, uh, in, in the Bay Area. And when I turned 60, you know, 40 years later, I, uh, I said, Dad, I said, you know, what is he having conversation? Because he was not that kind of person. I said, Dad, I said, I got to tell you, that time I've been holding this for 40 years, I said, that time that you came in and watched me bowl and, and told me I stunk, I said, that just really hurt me so bad. He said, well, you're a bigger baby than I thought you were. <laughs> he just Christ. always got me. <laughs> he can nail me. He can just catch me. I got, and I said, you fucking son of a bitch. And he said, fuck you. He said, fuck you too. God damn it. And I left and never came back for two years and, and anything else. And then my sister called and she says, you know, what about mom? I said, you know, you're right. So I went out there and, and you know, we, you know, and uh, I, made, I made peace when he died. He was just incapable of affection. That's he was, it. but he was from a generation mm -hmm. of like people that were just carved out of rock. I don't yeah. know. He, yeah. I heard these stories where he and my great-grandfather would just hop on a train and, and hobo across the country. Oh, like, yeah. they were rednecks. Based. I mean, they were hillbillies, kind of, yeah. right? My grandfather had his own still. He had a still. I remember yeah. seeing the film of, he had like a, a, a gin still or something in a washing machine. He was, uh, he lived to be 99 and he, his career earnings were $3,000. <laughs> 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 what was he, his just, he, he was a vagabond, you know. I never saw him sober. I never saw him sober. He'd wear my old bowling shirts. Rufus. Rufus, yeah, Rufus Ellingson, and he'd wear my old bowling shirts and tell everybody they're you know watching reruns in TV. And I swear I'll never forget yeah. when when I, he was seventy five years old and he had this and he weighed like one hundred twenty pounds and uh, and he had this girlfriend. Uh, what I can't remember. Um, Madeline was her name. And I just got off a plane and come in. It was like, I don't know, 1 o'clock in the morning. Didn't know they were there. And I started to go in my room. And I heard Madeline say, not tonight, Rufus. I got a headache. <laughs> 75 years old. So I said, all right, Rufus, you go for it. I'm going to lay down on couch. <laughs> they called him R.E. My dad's name is Hubert. Yeah. My grandfather's Rufus. And they called him, my dad H.A. and him R.E. because they didn't like the names. How I came out with William, I have no idea. But uh, very pleased. <clears throat> yeah, he. Uh, I, I think maybe he was just from a generation of people that, 
you just got married as soon as you could and you started having kids and you didn't really question it. And I think those, I think a lot of those people probably felt fairly unfulfilled because they never really were able to, they never, it feel like they weren't really allowed to kind of follow the things that, that they were passionate about. Did my grandfather care about anything that well, he might have, have wanted to, to do? Something. He's, he's from Alabama. My family's all, all the South, Alabama, Tennessee. There wasn't a lot of money. And my, my grandmother uh, uh, worked in a mill and you know, and and my grandfather, he was on a train somewhere. He was just gone. He just never show up anywhere. And when I was three, my dad uh, got a job at the shipyards in San Francisco. So that's the reason we came uh, cross country. You were born in Mobile. I was, no, I was born in Florence. You were born in Florence. Yeah, I was born in Florence, Alabama, and uh, uh, so we came there to work and, and get a job in the projects. And we had another family. There was a sheet up, and you know, um, it was. Yeah, but you know, it is what it is. You know. And I went to this junior high school called Portalaw Junior High School in San Francisco. And if you get to school and back without getting your ass checked, you had a good day because it was really scary. It was just everything was the stuff that people walk around science with. They would have gang fights and stuff that would just scare you. You know, it was, it was just, uh, but it was just the way it was. You know, you don't, you don't, if you don't know any better, you don't, you know, you don't think anything about it. But it was, uh, I think one of the things that saved me was I was the smallest kid. I was too small to pick on, you know, if, if that's. But your best friend was also the biggest, uh, Lenny was. No, Lenny was high school. I didn't meet Lenny till, uh, till high school. My best friend, uh, my, my two best friends growing up in the project, uh, uh, Kermit. Shepard was a black kid, and he was really big and just a super guy. And my downstairs neighbor, Melvin Garcia, my two best friends uh, growing up. And um, Whatever happened to them? Well, you know, we left. You know, oh, we yeah. moved, didn't have a car, and never went back there. And I've often wondered what happened to them because, uh, you know, we were just, uh, you know, and, and my first girlfriend was Elsie Garcia, you know, and, and she was five years older. I was in the sixth grade. I got a girlfriend. You know, everybody was <laughs> feeling her up except me, but, you know. <laughs> Uh, I got to say, she was my girlfriend. <laughs> she had big old titties. I mean, it, it, and just like to like people play with them, you know. So we <laughs> people to play with them. And I had this other girl, um, uh, Ruby Dawson, that was just the toughest girl you ever met. You, she, was, the guys were afraid of her, you know. And but you know, these were these are just people. You know, I remember these names. I can't tell you what I had for lunch today, but I remember <laughs> all that stuff because it was just so great. And then when we did move. Um, uh, to San Mateo, 20 miles out of San Francisco. And I got in, and you know, I, I got the job as the janitor. And, you know, my parents, my dad was about $5 a day, whatever, and I'm making a lot of money. House painting, right? House painting, yeah. He was house painting, uh, uh, except for the daily double he never missed for 50 years. He the was, track, but, yeah, you know, But I give him credit. You know, my, my parents, they never missed work, either one of them. You know, he there was always food in the table and a roof over your head. And, you know, but it was just his rules, and that's just the way it was. It was and your mother, and my grandmother was, who, it's like this so sweet yeah yeah just like yeah. it was there was unbelievable combination but i guess that was also the generation where you just you just stuck with your marriage yeah you did you know and she because she sat by i mean like he was pretty awful and she you know she just dealt with it yeah well she you know he would he would come in every friday and he'd give her money for the bills and he'd blow the rest of the track or poker or you know chasing around you know he'd come on with lipstick on his collars and you know he was just and they'd argued, and one time she threatened to, you know, uh, my mom. And I know a lot of people going out there, and everybody's got their their stuff. And you know, he he was a player, you know, because uh, I just say. <laughs> and my mom told me this story, you know. She said one time, whenever somebody moves out, his job was to go in and paint. So he knew everybody at the Hillsdale Garden Apartments. 
and uh, my mom told me that this is just I mean she's in a nursing home now and she told me just told me this story just a few years ago he uh, the lady wanted some plumbing done she called my dad and he went up there and she was naked and, says, and, and mom says well, what was she supposed to do? She was naked. Of course, she slept with her. I said, "Are you kidding me?" <laughs> she says, <laughs> you know? that's, a, "That's that's a whole that's a different generation." Yeah, yeah. And, and every girl I ever dated in my life, uh, everybody I've ever known, every one of them, after meeting my parents, says, "I will not be like your mother. <laughs> I will not take that shit." You know, there's just no way. But you know, but like I say, except for the the tenors part, you know, if, if he never missed work. He always took care. Of, he always did what he was supposed to do. But it's because I don't ever think of my grandmother as being a doormat. She seemed like a strong woman. She just sort of seemed like a, this is how it is. She was a manipulator. She made it work. You know, she always made it work. You know, like every now and then if I was really broke, she'd slip me a couple of dollars. You know, just she always made it work. And she and now in the nursing home, she's the worst person they have there. Since my dad died four years ago, my, my I got a, a brother and two sisters in uh, they called me and they said, look, you got to talk to mom. She is absolutely just a terror. And, you know, she's just cussing everybody and being nasty. And I said, mom, I understand you have become like the biggest bitch in the earth. And she said, so? I guess she held it in for so many years. <laughs> oh, no. And now yeah. she's finally... She says, I don't care. Because her, her oppressor is gone. She's walked outside naked and, and you know, just uh, not, you know. And But yet she still remembers a lot of stuff. And I asked her about San Francisco, doesn't remember that stuff. But, you know, it's... a uh, the dementia part, but you know, she still remembers me, ask about you, and, and she's she still how all those things are important to her. Uh, but she's um, you could not you couldn't drop a shirt in her house without no. it being folded by the time you turn oh, no. back around no. and, and perfectly set. You're gonna take a crap in the middle of the night, the bed's made when you come back in. <laughs> <laughs> I swear, it was that's the way it was. You did not. But, she would honestly get up every morning, fix breakfast, pack lunches, go to work eight hours herself. She worked in an electric plant uh, on the assembly line. My dad was a painter, and then cook, she cooked three meals a day. And we had we had bologna, we had oatmeal every day, and bologna for lunch every day through the sixth grade. You know, and then on Friday, my dad would get a steak and we get a hamburger. You know, but that's just the way it was until uh, we went to where there was cafeterias in school, and they would spend the, the twenty five or fifty cents. Do you think? Um, do you think because you had such a bad relationship with my grandfather that? Do you think that contributed to anxiety or depression, or do you feel like our family? Because those are things that I've had, you know, throughout my life. Or do you just feel like we were just predisposed to deal with a lot of that stuff? Well, you know, <coughs> I told you earlier the first time I met your mother and her family. And I saw every time you see Judy hug and kiss, I thought you were a weird family because I've never seen shit like that. We never, I, I'd come home once a year and there was never any hugs. No, I love you. Just how, how are you? Fine. How are you? You know. And Did then, he ever say it? Um, not till I was in my 60s, you know, when it, when it was get, where he was starting to get pretty bad. And I, uh, he just, you know, but my mom's favorite <coughs> line was, you know, your dad loves you. I said, how do I know? Yeah, he's never said it. The one time he came to watch me bowl, I got uh, when I was born, I got drafted by this Fresno Bombers. It was a it was a bowling league that they tried in the early sixties, where Fresno, L.A., everybody had teams, and they paid us a thousand dollars a month uh, plus expenses. I mean, when I got drafted, I said, "You're going to pay me to bowl? Are you kidding me?" And, and so you know, my dad, when a couple of his buddies showed up one night drunk, passed out in the in the, in the deal, you know, and just. It was just no. That's just all I've been around, and and I didn't hate him for it. Like I say because now that now that um, 
he's gone and I'm getting older and reflecting more. I'm seeing more of his good sides. You know, I remember my mom, she sent me this tape one time about after he died five, four years ago, she sent me a tape. She said, you gotta listen to this. Your dad should have been a singer. I mean, he had the best voice you've ever heard. So I sent this tape, this tape him playing a guitar with three or four other drunks, all these drunk people singing a little sing-along. But you know, it, it, and I'm not, I, I don't want to sound like I'm putting him down because I have more respect for him now because I've seen how his brothers, uh, he had two brothers that were just no good, didn't work, ran away from every responsibility. He never missed a responsibility one day in his life. What I missed was the affection. I, I, the reason I was attracted to your mom's family was because they were so affectionate and so caring. And I said, wow. And when I got the job at the bowling center, I got the same uh, treatment. Everybody was so nice. And my bowling coach, uh, a woman sold me a car for $60. And uh, that, uh, you know, it was, it was, it was just nice. <laughs> and, and I hate to keep like I'm trashing my dad, but uh, me and a friend of mine, I was 16 or 17. And we had these two girls, but I had the car, so we're driving, and it was a clutch, and I popped the clutch, and there was a big pop in the car, you know, off the side of the road, and I had to call my dad to come get me. He got so pissed off, he sold it to a friend of his for $30. The guy spent $6 for a clutch plate and drove it for 10 years. Oh, my God. It was just, you know, but, you know, it's like you just didn't talk back. You know, it was just, it was just that time where the, 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 you know, that, you know, no matter what they were like, and if you're always on eggshells, especially if you, you know, been out partying, but uh, you know, but but you know, he never came to a ball game. He never came to watch. He never until I started making television. Then he started coming around. But he, it was always I. It was never we. We never did family things. We never did any of that kind of stuff. And that's why I try so hard now to stay uh, close to my kids, just because I would. I don't want to, you know, have a negative thought. I want to. I don't want to go to bed after an argument or something. I just really work hard. And, and the bowling developed me a personality. In fact, after that first year on tour of being last, 28 of my customers, and I'm talking about people that all of them made less than $5 an hour, put up $100 each to give me a chance to go on tour. And I, it was $2,800. And when that $2,800 was gone, uh, uh, then I knew I had to uh, go back. To, my job was waiting for me at the bowling center. Uh, I knew that I was going to be there just, if I was the night desk man, it didn't make no difference. I liked the atmosphere. I liked the respect they had for each other. I liked the people, I just like being around it because it, it, it developed me a personality. I mean, it really got to where uh, um, I, I started believing myself. And the better I bowled, and, and plus I didn't have to face the people. They were behind me. <laughs> oh, that's right. You that's know, true. So I never I think about that. Because when I turned around face them, uh, the, the first time, and, and your mom really helped in this, we were, uh, I had a contract with uh, AMF, and at the time it was pretty big. It was uh, uh, like twenty $25,000. I had been in Japan and I shot the first 300 national TV and they offered my own bowling ball company over there. And AMF, I said, look, can I, you know, I, I want to be able to work over there too. It's too good a deal. And they said, no, because we have business over there. So rather than let me do that, they pretty much doubled my contract. And then I got to where I wasn't really bowling good because the ball they made was a piece of crap. And I just really, you know, it just, I just couldn't, uh, couldn't do it so they had a, a new cigarette come out called Lucky 10 okay. and they had um, uh, bowling centers all over the country we'd go to town like Philadelphia or Chicago and there'd be four or five of us we'd go to every bowling center and give clinics now we had a script a 45 minute script 
that uh, if you use every word, it's going to take you 45 minutes and you do a Q&A. Now, I worked with this lady named Edie Jo Neal, but we'd never faced people before. I was, I mean, I had diarrhea before the first time. <laughs> and your mom coached us, you know, on the, because uh, I mean, she was really eloquent. She did she'd do this stuff. And, and the very first thing in Pittsburgh, and I forget uh, this girl, uh, Edie Jo, <coughs> we had to do 78 clinics in 28 days. Oh and God. it was like three, four a day, every single day, just three times, every time, three, and just keep going. The very first clinic, we did the entire uh, speech in 12 minutes. It was supposed to take 45. I mean, we <laughs> rattled. We were so nervous. And, and then people were asking questions and, and, and uh, paying attention. And I just never had that feeling before. By the end of the 78th clinic, that, that, it was, that was an hour and a half. We kept adding, telling stories. I left there a different person. I just, you know, all of a sudden I, I like to see people. And I end up uh, touring around as an ambassador, making speeches all over the country. And uh, just, you know, just loved it. Just really, uh, you know, and it just changed my mind. Bowling gave me a personality, gave me a life. Uh, to, to end up with uh, my own bowling center now is, I was just so against it, it was unbelievable. And it's because of the opportunity that, uh, that bowling gave me, and, and, and the, it's too bad the young players say there's some really good talent, but they have too much competition between the other sports and the big money, and uh, it's just not, it's not, uh, you know, it doesn't have that. I, I did a, a Miller beer commercial that was three to five times a week nationwide for a year and a half. I was actually more recognized for my beer commercial than I ever was any bowling I ever did because of the audience, and now the audience has dwindled. I mean, we were recognizable everywhere, you know, and uh, like right now there's a lot of uh, basketball, football players love the bowl. You know, they, they get their group and they go and they, they have a good time and party, but it's uh, still a great game. It's just, uh, the, the game now is different. As It's a lot easier basically because of the equipment, the way we the way things are done. But the technology, the equipment. Technology, yeah. It's a lot, just like uh, Bertha, I mean, golf has the big Bertha, yeah. uh, the racket, they have the big tennis racket. Everything is designed for better, plus the athletes are, are better shape, better condition, you know, they're 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 preparing for it. So uh, we were just, you know, we would uh, you know, bowl our eight, 10, 12 hours, and uh, I mean, eight hours a day probably, and go to bar and hang around, drink some beer with the customers and get acquainted. And, uh, you know, you only went home at night alone if you wanted to. It was just, that's just the way it was, you know, you just, you know, and-, and Bowling groupies. Well, yeah, but every everybody has it. It's just that, uh, you know, it's just according to your level of income, dictates the uh <laughs> you know what can i say that's why i make light switches but i was <laughs> i snorted the uh the, the first year that you that you were trying to get on the tour and then you came in last and then a bunch of people gave you money to go yeah. back and try one more time yeah and then that was it. If it didn't work, that was it. And I made thirty-five thousand. How did yeah. you turn? What happened? Like what changed? A mental blinders. Uh, what happened was the first year I was in awe. I've only seen these people on television. I'm standing next to them. And there's the house in Bel Mateo Bowl in San Mateo, California. I could literally average two fifty in any pair in the house. I couldn't get any bets. And when I got back from the tour the first year, I couldn't average one eighty. And I mean, I was just. Thought I was done. I thought it was just going back to work. So I started working and working. And that fall, I uh, went to Santa Barbara, California, and I ended up winning the state all events. And I said, well, if I can beat these guys, why can't I beat those guys? And it was just the, the mental approach. In fact, the day I was leaving the tour, this guy named Harry Smith offered me $500. He said, here, kid, you got a, uh, you know, I think you got a future, you know. And I said, no, I said, I'm not ready. Ray Bluth, another, this is old time, the way people I remember were. him. Ray Bluth, 
I was eating burgers. I was eating crap food. One day uh, I was sitting having lunch with him, and he ordered a big old steak and nice meal. He said, oh, I forgot it's Friday. I'm Catholic. I can't eat meat. And he just gave me a steak. And just they, He knew. He was just, uh, you know. They really took care of each other. They really, it was a really good, close bonding. Like, bowlers know who bowlers are. And I don't have a lot of friends today because it was somebody from every different town in the country. We're spread out all over the country. So it's not like you have a bunch from one area going, and now I have acquaintances everywhere. And But my deal is my customers at the bowling center, which I've had, I say, for 30 years. I go in every night, there's always somebody to sit and have a beer with or talk with or tell old stories. And believe it or not, uh, I haven't bowled in since about 35 years, and I still get autograph requests. You know, of course, I've had some where uh, this one Billy Hardwick uh, was a country singer, and they thought they still had, I got the best voice they've ever heard. Well, obviously, it wasn't me. I've been mis- mistaken for other people, but it it's still, there. there is a group that is still following. I, I've oh. seen a picture of that guy. He looks like we could be related to them. That could, that, could have, that could have been one of the lights switches he, if, going off. If he could have taken, if you take the hat off, I could tell. I would, <laughs> right it, it could have been one of those nights yeah. where the light yeah. switch went off. Yeah. Um, but I still want to know what happened. Like, do, do you feel, do you think that... Um, <laughs> Do you think that you were more uh, natural ability, or was it sheer force of will and practice and hard oh, work? I had no ability whatsoever. Everybody, everybody to this day told me I couldn't bowl. They just couldn't beat me. You know, it was just mental. Uh, my whole thing changed. Is anybody at whatever level of sport you want to get to can get yourself ready uh, physically, but but the, the six inch space between your ears dictates everything. There's some people. That if you'll look at money list of all tournaments, they can either get to maybe the top 10 or the top 20 or make the cut, and then they're satisfied with, with that position. But that second year I came out, if Don Carter put up his foot up or whatever, I'd put mine up first. I'd, I'd say, no, my turn. I just I have mental binders. I got to where I could I could literally blank out anything around me and... Uh, and think about it. I, this is just why I wasn't talking to people. I would, you know, do that, but then I'd look at the floor coming back. I could never look at the crowd. I could never uh, face anybody. I was just always uh, really, I never felt like I belonged. Uh, but the better I bowled, the more accepted I was, and I created a lot of uh, opportunity. So was that what it was then? Absolutely. Yeah, that's all. Because I, I, seriously, I'm the least physical person you've ever seen in your life. I mean, I right now I play golf and I play for the ladies' tees and my wife outdrives me. So, you know, <laughs> it's just really, uh, it's mental. It's all mental. But I mean, you had, a, you had a, you've had arthritis since you were 12. I've had about 10 years old. I was, and they put me in the University of California Medical Hospital and I thought my skin was too tight because, you know, my wrists don't bend, my arms don't straighten and, and, you know, if I do a twist, two twist offs, my hands will bleed. My hands bled all the time I bowled. Um, but, you know, you, after a couple of shots, you numb up and you just go ahead and do it. You know, the, the team physician for the L.A. Dodgers, Robert Curlin, uh, back, you know, in the early 60s, told me that I better bowl all I can while I can because I was going to be a cripple. And I said, screw you. You know, I went and got another doctor. You know, you don't, want, <laughs> you don't want to hear that. And my doctor, Dr. Lane uh, Louisville, who you know or knew at the time, he's no longer with us, but uh, he was Colonel Sanders' doctor. And then I'd go in there to Colonel Sanders and be telling me all these ladies, and we used to go to this place called the Colonel's Lady, and you've been to several times where he was, Colonel Sanders was always walking around and pass out vegetables to people. And uh, oh, that was like snazzy <clears throat> sit down. Yeah, well, it was, it was just a Sunday. It was a, it was just a family dining. You know, they eat all the chicken meat plus all the vegetables. It was just how you know where you start. And then John Y. Brown, uh, who ended up being governor of Kentucky, ended up you know, franchising it and turning it into what it is today. So how how do you how did you focus so well? Because I have I really have the ability. Like if I'm watching a movie, I 
can blank out everything. I mean, I'm really bad. If I don't interrupt people, I will forget what I'm going to say. I, it's really that. But I've always been that way. I'm the worst listener in the world. I can, you can talk. I, all of a sudden, I'm thinking about what's going to bowling lanes. Uh, what, look at that good-looking girl over there. Or My mind's always someplace else. I always, if I read a page, I have to read it three or four times because I'm, I'm thinking about something else. And if I get a thought in the middle of the night, and start to forget about it. I, it's just, I can't get rid of it. Yeah, I mean, I just, you know. Yeah, but that seems like it would be opposite what you would need to focus. Because, you know. not, not really, because if it's something I care about, you know, like if uh, uh, my buddy Alan Graff or it was Bill Lawson or you, for example, because I only see you once or twice a year. Well, I'm, I'm focused on you because I care. But if it's matter of fact, you know, if you're like signing autographs or we're sitting around the bar with 20, 30 people... I ain't paying attention. I'm just, you know, wandering, make sure everybody's having a good time. So if, if I care, yeah. It's like my remote, I can do inside and out, but yet I can't turn on a computer, you know, I just, because I don't care. It's just not, it's just really not important to me. And lazy, if it was important to me, I'd learn it, but uh, I have employees that do that stuff. I meet them every three weeks. We sit and talk about the direction we're going. And I say, I, I tried to retire. I got bored shitless and uh, <laughs> I came back and, uh, and I'm so excited. I'm fortunate to have to come back and, uh, and do this, and I'm, I'm back there going, you know, six, seven days a week just hanging out with the people. I love the idea, and, and most people, I, I try to explain this to them, and you sort of touched on this a little bit earlier, but in the 60s, bowlers were like rock stars. I mean, you have, uh, I, I, you have some fucking great stories about... <laughs> like bowling with with weird celebrities and like oh, yeah. getting drunk with James Conn and just like all sorts of weird. Oh stories. yeah, I remember, I remember the, the, the you know uh, the, the, the Jim, uh, um, Glenn Campbell, uh, Mac Davis. You know, I I, I remember uh, coming to LA. We would go there and they would bowl. They would bus celebrities. How I met James Conn. They would bus these guys to. Uh, um, the tournament, Bowl of Pro-Am. You know, uh, James Hampton, a great uh, uh, supporting actor type person, really funny guy. He was in F Troop. Oh, okay. And uh, James Conn, all these guys, remember, got drunk one night, drunk, and he beat me arm wrestling, you know, and it's really pissed me off, you know, because I thought, you know. That James Conn beat you arm wrestling? Yeah, really, yeah. And then he, he said, we're going to go to some club, and we're, you know, shouldn't be driving, but, you know, I'm, but anyway, yeah. Uh, he lost me uh, probably on purpose. <laughs> we, we just, you know, and Glenn Campbell, one time uh, we were, Glenn Campbell and myself were bowling Max, Mac uh, uh, Davis and Jimmy Bowen, who was vice president of Capitol. And we're bowling like $50 a game and we're drinking. And we got to, you know, we got to, as you know, you get people that will hang around and it was just a nice little party. And I hate to see a party in. I'm still to this day, I just, you know, I'll get that extra round just so we can keep on going and I'll, you know, come back to the next night. But uh, uh, I, I just bought a drink. I want to bowl one more game. I said, you know, we're just having a good time. And so I hand Glenn a drink. And his then wife, Billy, she said, Glenn, I said that was enough. And he had to put it down and leave. They were divorced six months later. Oh, but, geez. You know, <laughs> I mean, in front of these people, I said, are you fucking kidding me? I mean, I just, you know, but I, you know, I just... The one that there's sometimes I know when to keep my mouth shut, but not usually. <laughs> was that the night they gave you guys Jaguars? Did you say that? No, that was a different one. That was, uh, uh, this is a different time. We we're bowling in a tournament, and oh, this is, God, this is crazy. Uh, by, uh, Ron Hamlin was his name. He was a left-hand bowler. He's a, a boat captain on fishing tours in Florida, or he was. And this is going back in the 60s, and we were uh, 
they supply us with cars. We go like they do golfers, and I got a brand new Jaguar, and this this guy Ron, he had a brand new T Bird, and he's trying to bumper tag me on on the LA freeway going from the valley over towards the airport, and I was doing 110. Oh, you know? shit. And, and he's right behind me, and we're going to some party, you know, and then we pull off and go to the party, and I mean, we just don't pull in the driveway of this house, and these cars are flashing by the lights, and they're chasing us. You know, I'm just fortunate, you know. The, 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 it's just it's just dumb luck because there's a lot of people make mistakes. Some people get caught, some don't. It was just uh, it's it just it wasn't that serious then as it is now. You know, they didn't worry about the the DUI and all the other stuff. And um, you know, my brother-in-law got uh, a DUI about four or five years ago. He his mother-in-law was sick, and he was. Uh, up home by himself, so he went to the Moose Club to have a lot of beer, and, and you know, it's after 11 o'clock, and up in Heber Springs, Arkansas, 11 o'clock, but a year, you know, because they fold up at eight, yeah. and it's just one of them kind of deals. And uh, so he gets pulled <clears throat> over, and the cop asked him to walk a straight line, so he told the cop, the cop could do it, if you can't do it, I expect me to do it. <laughs> <laughs> well, it didn't do any good, you know, still, you know, so. It's just, you know, it, it's just, uh, it was just the, the most fun, because every week was a party. We used to, we go in there and play this little game called Golly Golly. We, we'd sit there, there'd be, there'd be 20, 30 of us every single night because you really didn't want to go home alone. And I'm talking about even with a roommate, you didn't, you didn't want to go sit and worry about your bowling the next day. I had a rule with, that, that worked really well for me and I tried to pass it along to people because uh, you get five minutes to bitch. Once you're done bitching, shut up, we ain't talking about it no more. Because if you put a positive and a negative together, negative wins, because they don't have good days. You know, they will sit there and they'll browbeat and browbeat pretty soon, you know, you're, you're like, you know, get the fuck away, man, I can't stand it, you know. <laughs> and I would only hang with, you know, positive, uh, you know, just, just attitude. It's all attitude, it really is. Now, you have good days and bad days. I mean, I got people ask me how do I have the nerve to be a pro bowler. I shot a, I remember once I was in Philadelphia and, um, I shot, uh, I think it was 108 or 113, some ridiculous number. And Don Carter said in the back, hey, get him, pro. You know, just laughing their ass up. But, you know, you had to laugh about it. You know, you just really had to do it. So some were good. And then other days he couldn't touch me. Other days I just I just asked myself, why wasn't I there? But to this day, I will say those three years as a janitor made me who I am, made my life, happiest three years of my life. Because it was like a first date. It was, uh, it was a flower developing, whatever. It's like, wow. And getting away from that negative household. My brother is the most insecure person you ever met in your life. I got a brother and two sisters, and they're all. And had I not left California, what I did to go on tour, and then I ended up moving to the uh, middle part of the country, because uh, I drove cross-country 20 times in seven years because I was afraid to fly. And had I not um, moved or got away from there, I'd have never won a tournament. Because I'd have never had the confidence that it takes. Oh, because of your dad. Yeah, because you know when you get browbeaten, you, you you know you tell somebody how bad they are often enough. You know he did at one point admit that um, that he wished I hadn't gone because you know he said well you know he had to stay there and raise the family. Well, it's your family, okay? Number one, <laughs> it wasn't your responsibility. And, and, and he just uh, you know he just I think it was jealousy. Because I did something that I wanted to do, and he felt like he didn't. Because, like you say, got married young, had four kids while well, he's in his twenties. Right. You know, and it just it's uh, not your fault. Not my fault. You know, it's just you know, it was his. Uh, but most people don't realize that. No. no. Most most people most people 
I think a lot of kids in that situation would have felt like it was their fault. I think you're just, I think you're lucky you got away. Oh, there's no question. And and nothing, I'm not trying to trash him. I have a lot of respect for the man because now I know who he is. And, you know, the older you get, the more you're around you to see things and don't think things can't change or they can't get worse because they do. It just, they're, they're, you know, there's. Well, it's it's amazing that that some people can be like in your case, you're successful as a reaction to your father and how important it was for you to pursue something that you cared about. And but for me, you know, you and my mom were always really supportive, and so I always because I, I thought I think you kind of had the you know the notion of like you need to do you need to pursue what you care about and it doesn't matter you know because a lot of people say like oh is your dad disappointed that you weren't a professional bowler i'm like he doesn't give a shit he just wants me to do what i'm happy happy, doing but see the the positive the other side the positive side about my father was i learned what not to do yeah you know and i'm not trying to be nasty because he you know and and my my sister they just they said you know it's mom it's mom you gotta and they always talk about how he treated me it didn't it got to the point it didn't bother me and i just felt bad because I would like, you know, I, I, like on Father's Day and you hear all these stories about Dad and I did this and Dad, well, Dad and I didn't do shit. You know, he'd take me to Bay Meadows to bet the Daily Double. <laughs> you know, that, was, that, was, that was our, or the Elks Club. And, and I have to understand his upbringing because he can never introduce me, this is my son, Bill or Billy. It was like, this is my son, Billy Harbrick, the pro bowler. You know, he wanted to make sure that the, the, the identification, that was important to him. But, you know, he was a very insecure person. I mean, he he was, and his, he put his insecurities by trying to be so dominant, taking out on, on us. And we were all just walking on eggshells most of the time. I mean, he wasn't a beater or, a, you know, it wasn't that kind. It was verbal. It was, you know, and you can be somebody verbally as bad as you can physically. It sounds like he wasn't, <clears throat> it sounds like he just didn't, he, you know, because of the way he grew up, didn't really develop any of those skills like it didn't really sound like no. uh but he was really good with the grandkids because i remember when he died and all, all, all these grandkids going up there talking about how great he was and i said who the fuck are they talking about <laughs> <laughs> well i have to say he was always very sweet to me yeah yeah you and eddie you know he always what he was always like eddie come down he would go buy clothes and do this he was like trying to make up for what he didn't do because you have to understand something raising four kids the house they, they, they got to move into was $13,500. And uh, now my niece lives in a house. It's worth 800000 You know, it's a little... Same house. Three, oh, yeah. Three bedroom, one bath, you know, tw- twin beds in each room. And it was all jammed in, what, maybe eight 900 square feet. You know, but uh, but he did it. Payment was 99 He was really mad at me that when I started bowling, I didn't pay off his house. He said, you could have paid off my house. It was my, my fucking house, you know? You know, we had these conversations, but in his mind... You know, I mean, he he did. He busted his ass. He never missed work. I mean, he flat. He'd get drunk on Friday night. This is Jerry Lee Lewis. We'd have a Lawrence Welk party every Saturday night. He'd be dancing with all the neighbors, pinching them on the ass. You know, just you know, he was the the bell of the ball. You know, but uh, you watch and you learn. You know, you pick the good points and you bet. And and his work ethic. You know, and my mom too. They never missed work, and and I never missed work. You know, I was, seriously was. Uh, I was selling newspapers and. Uh, Oh, this is the story that got me the most. I was selling newspapers in San Francisco. I was 10 or 11 years old. And it was like diamond paper, whatever it was. And I saved uh, $28. Gonna give me a bike, you know. I mean, that, that, that's all that damn paper is to yeah. save $28. And, and my dad took the $28 and bought curtains for the house. 
I said, well, I said, you can, you got to pay your share at 10. You know, I got to pay oh, my no. share. Oh, it was terrible. <laughs> and, you know, and I tried real hard not to save ever since. I said, I'm going to get, because I don't want me to take it away from me. But that hadn't worked either. So, uh, I, so people always ask me like, oh, does your dad love the movie Kingpin? And I said, you know, my dad lived it. Yeah, that's what I, you, I, I feel like your answer was like, yeah, it was a cute movie, but, uh, you know, I, I really did the hustling. Like, I, what I could do, and, and what I did do, was uh, I could take two swallows of beer to get to the smell of my breath and throw the ball and fall down in pocket nine out of ten times. And I'd always have Lenny there. Like, like if, if I was bowling a money match and for people, they would come in, and uh, uh, we'd always meet at midnight and um, just to make sure we... There weren't any issues that Lenny would take care of for me. You know, I'd, I'd get calls. Uh, Lenny, Lenny's a big guy. Lenny's a big guy. Yeah, and Lenny, he could beat the shit out of people. Of anybody. Yeah, he liked, to, he liked to hit people. He liked to be hit. He didn't give a shit. You know, he just... He, he, uh, one time he gives me a call, and uh, this is junior bowling. Now I'm 16 years old. This little girl named Connie Cook. She's the cutest girl. And you know, was my, you know, girlfriends of those days, you know, if you kissed them, you were doing good. You, there wasn't, you know, yeah. this other kind of stuff. But... She happened to mention how this guy that she went to school with was the toughest guy around. And I'm thinking, okay, I got two choices here. Oh, really? I said, well, I, I don't think so. I said, I know a guy that's, you know, a lot tougher, you know, it's Tom Lenny. So he calls me about two weeks later. He says, well, you did it again. I said, what'd I do? And he says, get a few guys together. He said, uh, me and this guy are going to, we're going to find out who the best is around here. So I get... That's it. I'm the only, I got a job in a car. So those are the two downfalls that I had in high school. I had a job in a car. And so I get six guys, and we get out of this place called Foster's Freeze. In, uh, oh, it's in, still... It's still there, yeah, in, in, Santa, in uh, San Carlos, California. And we pull in there, and there's like 200 guys. Standing around there, and there's six of us, and I'm, I'm like 100 pounds. You know, I'm like the smallest guy and. Whatever, so but you know, it's one of the things. Like one guy sitting in the front of my car, and he he took the chrome off, and he's beating the car like it's a horse. You know, let's let's go. So we don't want to do it there, so we're gonna go up in the hills. So now I got to go up in the hills, and we drive up in the hills and put all the cars in a big circle, and they get out there, and there's two hundred, there's six of us. You know, we're out there, and then Lenny beats the crap out of the guy, and, which is okay. And now let's leave it alone, and and you know, because you know, this is the kind of thing when you're down, they get up. You know, it was a, it was fair fight. You know, it really was. It was uh, that kind of stuff. I said, no, let's leave it alone. So now Lenny said, well, just tell everybody you're a chicken shit son of a bitch. Well, you know, then oh, all of a sudden no. they jumped on us. Oh. And it's the minute they jumped on us, the cops came. And as the cops came, everybody jumped in the woods except me, because the one it's my car. I can't go anywhere. And, and I don't want to jump down the woods with those guys anyway. So they take all the info and I go down. And on the way down, I pick up the guy, fought in three of his guys, you know. And they, yeah, he was pretty tough. I said, yeah, yeah, really pretty nice guy, you know. <laughs> <laughs> what am I, I going to say? You know, I was trying to survive to get to the bottom of the hill. Oh, it was... It was so so he was basically your bodyguard. Well, when yeah. You, when you were hustling. Well, you know, he would he would just made sure if, you know, I mean, we would be... Uh, in hotels, you know, and we would come at two o'clock in the morning after a bowling action, and maybe you know had a, a lot to drink, and all the trays that people put out after he walked, we just picked the food off the trays in the, in the lobbies of the, I mean, in the in the hotel uh, rooms, and then, you know, but just survival. All it was, was all it was was make enough to get by the next day. We actually would uh, sit at the bowling center, and uh, everybody have a drink, and then we would uh, have foot races, five dollars. Go to Belmateo, you go down the bottom of the hill, 
which is about a quarter mile and come back up the hill. Well, if five dollars is going to get you breakfast or something, you know, you pick your guts out, but you know, for five dollars, you didn't give a shit because you're just really, it was, it was like all going through all this stuff. And all of a sudden I get this call. They want to pay me a thousand dollars a month to bowl. I said, I, I took, uh, I made it too much, but then the league wasn't doing well and they had to cut me, but everybody that was on the team, I ended up beating for a title at some point. It was just that mental thing. I just had this mental thing of, you're just not going to beat me. You know, you can talk about, I can't do this, but you're not going to beat me. You, I, I just really have, and you're the same way. And that, that, is, that is something that you develop yourself. You can't teach that. You cannot teach self-discipline, uh, motivation. You can't teach those things. You either have it or you want it. You know, that's why you have uh, leaders and followers. You know, and I'm not trying to put anybody down. And, and like, uh, and I want to make it real clear. I'm not trashing my dad. My dad formed who I am today, and I'm grateful for all the things he did. And try to make it for the things he didn't do. And if that, you know, if, if that sounds offensive, I'm certainly not trying to be that way. Um, so uh, there must be good hustling stories. Hustling stories, yeah. Like so, well, you know, the because uh, like, this was before the tour. So if you're hustling, you would have been like what, 17, 18, 18 19? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We 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 would do stuff. I remember one time, and I got help. So I a couple of times. We we used to go bowl uh, a place called Brentwood Bowl, and uh, there was probably twenty, thirty guys. We bowl five dollars a game. Uh, it was always five dollars a game, winner take all. Uh, you could go to San Francisco on a Friday night midnight and bowl Sunday afternoon straight through. Then be 40, 50 guys. You know that's you know we do. But this one night, I was uh, there was four of us. One of us is going to win. That's just the way it was. So anyway, um, I lost a couple of games. I broke. I only had ten bucks. I didn't win one of the pots. So I went to one of the other three guys and I said, uh, "Can you give me some money?" And they said, I can't, I'm splitting with Eddie Nagel. I said, wait a minute, because I was split with Eddie Nagel. So, so I went to the other two guys, and he had four, he was split with everybody. So he couldn't win, because if he won, then, you know, and then I went to the, to the owner, asked him to sponsor me, he said, I'm sponsoring Eddie. So he's got the owner putting the money up, <laughs> and he's splitting with four guys. But the best hosting story, and this is, I swear to God, it's a true story. We were San Mateo County Fair. And uh, pitching nickels on those plates, you know, and you got those barkers that are making fun of you. You can't do this. You can't. He's laughing at you. And I ended up losing uh, about five, ten bottles, whatever, whatever it was I had at the time. And uh, so we start talking. Well, can you do anything else except you know run your mouth? And we got uh, brought up bowling. And I said, "Be bullish." Yeah. He said he had a one fifty average, and I said, "Well, I got a one forty five average." <laughs> it was two forty, you know, at the time. But I said, you know, so he comes. To the bowling center at midnight, they're closing. He comes in with his, with his own backs. He takes his ball out, his shoes out, and he takes out a loaded 45 and lays it in the scorer table. I said, what's that for? He said, that's to make sure you got a 145 average. <laughs> oh, I spent the night at the bowling center. I didn't leave. <laughs> that's the last time I lied. After that, I said, you know, I can beat you, put your money up, or, or go. Whatever. I, just, I, just, I never lied after that. Did you bowl him? Fuck no, I didn't bowl. <laughs> I was just trying to survive bowling. I spent the night in the back end. I did not, I did not leave the building till dawn. I was scared to death. I was scared shitless. I got another call from uh, there's a, a guy uh, from L.A. calls uh, passing through. Wanted to know if anybody wanted to bowl, play for any money. So um, they called me. I was in bed. And I went up there and you know I get all my friends go. We raised five bucks. And so we go down there, we bowl two games for $5. And I set 279 279 
And he said, man, you are the stupidest kid I've ever seen in my life. I said, what are you talking about? He pulled out $1,100 and said, you could have had it all. I said, man, I got your $5. To me, that was, <laughs> that was it. That was all it was. It was just a little, little, little stuff like that. There was always action. You know, it was, uh, we would get 20, 30 guys every night at, when, uh, at midnight because the primetime leagues are always 9 o'clock. We start bowling at midnight till 4 or 5 o'clock in the morning. Dollar a game or $2 a game, loser pays lines. You know, and I was, you know, I got to where there was two guys that honestly hustled. They won. They would take turns winning. Once I finally got to where I could beat them, they moved to another bowling center. One guy lived in the front seat of his car, and his wife lived in the back seat. You know, but they sit there and they. Oh, and so they were separated. Action. Yeah, that was it. <laughs> but that's it was a hustle because all the PBA tour do did was they took the greatest hustlers in the world and put them on TV, called them stars. Because we everybody had a reputation. I'd heard about all these guys in different places, but we very rarely. You know, uh, there, there was one term in San Francisco where I was, they called me Billy the Kid, the Blonde Bomber, and um, San Francisco, downtown Bowling, San Francisco, eight game tournament. And if you could average 200, you're going to make it. My first place is $2,000. Well, I'm getting all the headlines, and I got a packed house when I go in there. And the first game, I shot a 138. I mean, I was just so pressing so much because of reading the press, and, and everybody's like, you know, and then they start. You know, cock, you know, booing you and just making remarks and everything else. So I said, screw it. So I settled down and it won the tournament. I said, 1644. Oh. Yeah, it was 205. And this is where the teams from, from both all over the country come to, to play in the, a tournament to pay $2,000 in 1961. That was, you know, it was just, it was just really huge. And because there was no tour, there was no money. There was like a, a three, three tournaments a year. You had the World's Invitational. Um, the all-star and then the abc tournament and the Masters. that's all you had and so you had to go and uh you know to, to these other places you use a bunch of guys in the car and you go you know weekend tournaments here and there come back well when did because i saw you on a show called championship bowling which was the saturday tv show before i think a lot of people associate bowling like when they talk about bowling they go oh yeah the 70s and wide world of sports and earl anthony and you know but there was this whole I saw a bunch of stuff that the bowling museum sent me. It was all black and white from the '60s. Right. Everyone looked really cool and had slick back hair yeah. and cool shirts. And, and you know, the audience all had really had coats and ties. Yeah, everyone looked great, they and were, it was yeah. it was really cool. Like it didn't, you know, when people I think people think of bowling, they think of like, oh, it's gaudy and people are, you know, like they wear ridiculous clothes and like no, but in the in the '60s, it was it was like Mad Men. It was really cool. Yeah, it it, it was that kind of thing, and and, and the respect we were such recognized people. It was uh, really pretty cool. But championship bowling was before the PBA. The PBA, uh, Eddie Elias, the founder, he got like twenty uh, something guys put up fifty dollars each to give it a chance to try an individual singles tour. At the time that I was drafted by the National Bowling League, where they were trying to keep team bowling going, but team bowling's boring, you know. They wanted the individual one-on-one, and plus Eddie had the, the TV rights, and uh, the championship bowling, he ended up buying out and, and giving it, give everybody the shows that they were on. But my championship bowling was because I was the bowler of the year, and I got to go uh, uh, play it a couple of times, and it was really fascinating. You bowl, you know, a couple of three-game matches, and, you know, you can win $10,000, and uh, there was a... You have to understand, like today, the entry fees are like $500, and you've got some guys, there might be a couple of guys that make a couple hundred thousand, but there's not that much. But in, our, in the 60s, I was making between thirty dollars and $60,000, which was a ton because, I say the rooms are, you know, 
10, 20, 30 dollars a night. The entry fees are only a hundred dollars, and there was no competition from uh, the other all the cable stuff. There's only three networks, You'd, and we we were actually had more popular. We were um, at higher ratings than uh, baseball and basketball, not football, uh, and we were more recognizable because we didn't have hats or helmets, you know. And and like I said, when I did my beer commercial, I was on three to five times a week for a year and a half, and I was recognized as. Uh, you know, uh, I remember one time we were in New, your, your mom and I were in New England for something, and everybody kept staring, and we couldn't figure out what it was. And I kept thinking maybe it was a beer commercial. It's because your mom was the only blonde <laughs> in, the, in the whole in the whole restaurant. You know, it was in New England state, and back in the early, you know, I mean, the early seventies, whatever it was, and it was just because of uh, of her blonde hair. So, uh, but it was it was cool. I always I never because uh, it's you know because I I kind of as you know I've recently picked up bowling again a little bit, but I quit. When I was about 13, you know, because, you know, you and my mom slept when I was 11, and then we moved away, and I think you sort of, I don't know, when you're 13, you start to kind of reject all the stuff you did yeah, when you were younger, and I'm like, no, I'm a teenager now, and now, you know, now I'm into, you know, that that's when I kind of developed my love affair with, like, video games and computers and, and you know, and, and all that, that sort of stuff, and so I, you know, we moved away, and it just got harder to bowl, because I didn't, wasn't near a bowling center anymore, and, um... Plus the cost too, you know, but the cost, yeah, it was really expensive, and obviously I could bowl at the, at the your bowling center for free. Um, but uh, I never, I it always it's always under my skin that I never got a perfect game, and I don't think I ever will. Um, I just I got so close when I was a kid, and I they just two eighty nine one time two eighty nine, yeah, yeah, two eighty nine, and I just I feel like there's there's that one extra thing that you have where you can keep focusing right before. You're about to get that last strike. That, you know, I I just kind of I fell apart. Well, the whole the whole thing about it, I think you will now if you continue practicing because last night was the first time I've given you a lesson because you were always just good, and but now I'm trying to explain to you so you understand it. You know, and it's and it's just focused because the toughest thing about a 300 game is. The closer you get, the more aware, the more people stop and watch. Five, six strikes, yeah, seven yeah, strikes. They're like, yeah. oh, God, I don't want to fuck this up. I don't want to fuck this yeah, up. Yeah, so no, I think you have the ability. You have, you have as much natural ability as I've ever seen, but you don't have any knowledge uh, of the game. You don't understand what you're doing, why you're doing it. So that's what we were talking about last night, hoping you get Yeah, what's what really funny to me is the first... Um, uh, the, the, so the, we've done ten episodes <clears throat> of uh, All-Star Bowling, which I named after your bowling center. Um, and... The very first game, I hadn't bowled in a while. Like, I, I think I, I bowled for my, I bowled, I had a birthday bowling party last November uh, in 2011. But before that, I hadn't bowled in years. And so the first game of the show, we shot, you know, a few, a few months ago. And I bowled like, uh, I shot like 129 or something. I just couldn't, I, I hadn't bowled, I couldn't get my, I was trying to focus on the production but then my game started slowly coming back, and I was bowling better and better, and I think I shot five games over 200, five or six out of the ten. But I called you after the first or second show, and I was like, I don't, I don't know what I'm doing. Can you watch this and tell me what I'm doing wrong? And you go, I don't have to tell you what you're doing. You, uh, you're throwing the ball too hard. You're probably lobbing that. You're, you're throwing it like a shot put, yeah. and you don't need to do that. And I watched after I hung up the phone with it. I watched. I was like, "Fucking, that's exactly what I'm doing." You didn't even have to look at the thing, and you knew what I was doing wrong. You have to understand when you started bowling, you were three and a half. You weighed thirty six pounds. The ball weighed nine, so you threw it as hard as you could. 
And as you grew, that just became your, your, that's your swing. That's the way it is. And and now you're big and, you know, you're a lot stronger. Big and strong. Well, you know, but you still have that same motion that was natural that you grew up with. That's why, like, kids in every sport, when you learn it uh, early, it's just natural for you. When you pick it up, it's going to be the same. It might not be as effective, but uh, with the equipment and, and with a little bit of knowledge, you, you could, the way conditions are today, you could. So. E- easier? There well, you. easier. Well, they're, they're, there, it is an easier game. You know, there's hundreds of thousands of 300 games now. It's just, uh, look at Bull Burton just shot uh, uh, last week. Now he's 69 years old, and last week he shot 257, 300, 300. Well, you don't do that at 69 unless, number one, he is a, a fit person, and he's good enough to do it, but the carry's better, and he's always bold and stayed in shape. Bo is one of the best athletes you ever But in the around. 60s, what, were, what, were, what was the top average in the 60s? Well, to, to give you an example, right now there's there's a... Thousands of uh, 800 series, which is the, the ultimate. If you shoot 800, so it's so just so people don't know, and, a series is the total three, three games. games. Yeah, three games. And and when I bowled my second 800, I was the third bowler in the state of California to have more than one. It was worked where par was 200. Now we have people that are averaging 250 for a whole season, and those that's high games, not averages. It's just a game I can't relate. And what was your average in your bowl of the year? Well, I was. Uh, in 1962, uh, Don Carter set the average mark 212.2, and in 69, they beat it 212.9, which is the highest in PBA history. And, and now, you don't even get a paycheck with 212. You know, they, they have it now where they, they can average 240 for the whole tournament. And I mean, I set a world record in Japan that uh, uh, still stands. It's been a record since 1968. And, uh, where I was 270.5 for, for eight games across the lanes with back-to-back 300 games. And Jesus! It was just one. In, in front of the uh, Prince of Japan, the Emperor's brother was there. That's the way it was. We had a royalty. They were charging $20 a ticket back in the day. And you bowled back-to-back. I did see I, I did see the, the, the bowling museum doesn't have the both full games, but they have like a chunk of them. And I watched. I got to see you do that. No, that, no see, the back-to-back, that was the day before. The next day after the back, I, I, I finished the game with five in a row, then 300, 300, and seven. I started, I had 36 in a row over, uh, you know. Oh, 36 in a row, but over four and, games. And, and then the next day, I was the first American to appear on uh, national TV in Japan. I shot 300 first in their history. Jesus. So that was really cool. And it's really, and this is just my, I, I, I don't want to see uh, the cocky side, but as soon as we got there, the first thing they told us, was whatever you do, you're not allowed to bring girls to the hotel room. So I said, well, you shouldn't have told me I'm not allowed. <laughs> Eight hours later, buddy. <laughs> you know, we've got a lot to drink and partying. And wake up and I say, oh, I can't believe that. The next night there's a knock on the door. I did not answer the door. I said, I had not gone there. I just, you know, but it was just, it was just, you're in your 20s. When you, 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 you're young and dumb in your 20s. You can do anything, get away with anything, and think it's going to last forever. You just find out that it doesn't, you know. It's like when I turned 30, 30 was my toughest number because when you're 29, you're still in your 20s. 30, I thought I tied the world. I was like, you know, everything hurt my whole body. 70 got my attention, but 30 really was still the, the one that, uh, that, that, you know, everybody's got a 30, 40, 50, whatever. Everybody's got a number, but 30 was one that really paid the most attention. Yeah, 30 didn't bother me too much for some reason. Well, and you know, that's... I think, I think maybe my generation just, I don't know, we were, we have longer... We have these like permanent adolescence periods now. Well, you know, also in, in your generation, and it's different because of my generation. I just want to make sure that there was a love and affection and attention, in which you know, and like I've got like eight, I guess seven grandkids. Another one coming in October, and, and just really, you know, it's just just at a happy place. Like last year, 
for my 70th birthday party and, and uh, I've never had my whole family together and you were on you were in San Diego on the way to Canada and came 10,000 miles out of the way, which I'll never tell you what that meant to me. I mean, you'll never understand. I mean, you do, but uh, that's the first and only time in my life I had my whole family together. And that was uh, one of the best days of my life. I just can't even tell you what that, that meant to me. So it was really cool. So anyway. That was a fun time. Oh, it was, yeah. Um, I, uh, I still want to know where your head goes when you're, you know, 11th frame... And you're staring. You have you have eleven strikes, and you're staring. Or or it's or if it's to win a tournament. Yeah. Like if you have to strike to win a tournament, how do you get your brain out of the way and just? But that's but that's why you do it. If it don't bother you, why do it? I mean, just the idea of overcoming uh, insecurities, overcoming weaknesses. The same thing you told me fifteen years ago about comedy, or ten years ago about comedy. I said, you know, and he says it helps me overcome insecurities. By facing the crowd, and you, you probably don't remember that, but you told me that you told me, you know, this because I, a lot of times I get really anxious and high strung, and this helps me overcome it. Me bowling uh, helped me gain recognition, notoriety, and sometimes you did, sometimes you didn't. You know, um, you know. I mean, one time I needed a, a spare and an eight count to win a, a tournament in a new car. And I was so busy throwing about the eight count, I threw the ball in the gutter halfway down. Oh, <laughs> shit. You know? It just, it's one of the things, concentration. It just, just to say you can, and I mean, look at, they're talking about uh, Kobe Bryant, a great basketball player, one of the best ever. But they're talking about uh, out of 20 times to win games, he's made the, the last shot three out of 20. Well, that's not good percentages, but he still wants the shot. You know, shooters want to shoot. I mean, I'd like the attention you get and the notoriety you get, and you get the. Uh, uh, and I've also had the ability to, when it's over, it's over. I remember one time I, I was in charge of a munching where uh, I had 30 some people on a contract giving away $100,000 worth of clothes a year. And uh, it's something that I sold them on and they went for it. But I remember this one guy beat me out of a tournament and offered him a contract. He says, Why are you talking to me? He said, Well, the tournament's over. You know, you can't live your life worrying about yesterday. You seriously, you know, it's like uh, the, the biggest problem with golfers, I use an example because I've coached a really, really good golfer. There's, the, you got to worry about the next shot, not the last shot. So you're just, so you're not, you're not coaching him in golf, you're coaching him. How to win, yeah. yeah you're coaching his mind. Oh, yeah, because I'm, we're going around there and he talking about, He'd hit a, a, a high wire three holes back, and he's still running. But I said, "What? Who gives a shit? You know, that's over. You know, hit your ankle, ball goes together, it's over. You know, you you have to worry about. You know, uh, uh, my daughters asked me why I wake up smiling. I said, "I'm glad to be awake. I, I honestly, I personally can't survive in the past. I can look at the good points. I've had a lot of bad things that that I've just tried to blank out because you just have to. Because uh, I'm the kind. Uh, it would just tear me up." inside it would it would stress me so bad and I'd really um, just can't do it you know I have to I will find something good with just about everybody you know there's a good point about it, what I want to hang with or not that's something else um, do you forgive him well you have to you know you, you, you just have to or, or you know you're going to go crazy and the total you, you know you don't really want to you know that's why I say now that I get to come back and go and hang around people most nights or Come back. I just uh, feel very fortunate. I, mean, I was. I was <clears throat> thought it was interesting that you decided. You know, I, 
I don't even remember the last time you picked up a ball, but it has to have been like 25 years ago. And then you said, and then you swore that you you just kind of decided, like, yeah, there's, there's really no reason for me to do this anymore. Well, no, my reason for not bowling was because, uh, for like, in, in my bowling store, I got 20 lanes on each side. And there's a one way mirror where I could watch the bowlers. And there was a 20 team scratch league. Scratch league are the best bowlers in town. Uh, Want to be some that want to be good enough for the tour that probably aren't. But I'd stand and watch them for 15 minutes. If they were bowling good, I'd go out and say, hi, how are you? If they were bowling bad, I'd go out the outside and go home because I don't listen to bullshit. You know, I just really got to where I just, you know. Oh, because they complain at you. They complain to me, yeah. And when I bowl league, I'm in a stationary position. So everybody kept coming down and talking to me. My teammates always wanted to beat me. Everybody wanted to complain. I couldn't go nowhere. Now I can walk to the other side. I can go to the bar. I can go home. <laughs> you just need an escape route. I did. Yeah, I do. Because, you know, it, it's, it's, it's sometimes you corny. You have to do it. And I just, uh, you know, sometimes. I have no patience for complainers. I have no patience oh, for it. I don't know how. I mean, because people complain to me about the stuff all the time that I do. And I'm just like... What do you? I'm not a complaint desk. Like, if you don't yeah. like it, don't come here and don't listen to it. But don't, you know, like it's like they want to complain without offering a solution. Yeah, they no. just they just go. They want hey, they, to listen. They, yeah, they, they just listen. Yeah, they I don't know. Uh, one of the regrets I have at my bowling center happened very within three months after I had the place. I had like twenty or thirty of the better bowlers sitting around and they're asking me questions. We're having a beer. You know, I bought my beer. We're they're talking. This one guy, Denny Denson, says, "I'll never forget it." And he said, uh, you know, uh, I know you watch me bowl. Have you, have you got any suggestions uh, for him? I said, yeah, take two weeks off and quit. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> they la- he didn't come back for two years. Oh, my God. I was, it was just a joke. I was just trying to, you know, you know, I, I, you know, I was doing an exhibition one time in uh, Port Arthur, Texas. And there's, I got about three or 400 people in there. And the guy, one of these cowboys, raises his hands. And he says, hey, how many balls are you? Man, I got two just like you. You know, just, just <laughs> always looking for a little, little something, something. But I really felt bad about that. He ended up coming back. And I said, it was just a joke. But you got to be careful. Though most people... Look at me. It's like you get Dr. Phil. I, a lot of times they come to my office just to talk to me and invent or say whatever. And, you know, um, you have to listen. It don't mean you have to offer any opinions. I, like I say, you don't say hello, Mrs. So-and-so, because whoever's with somebody this month might be somebody different next month. And you, you become a listener and you learn to walk away and, and keep your opinions to yourself. They, they just don't want to hear it. I thought uh, you did said to me that one of the reasons... <laughs> He said, "the the longer you don't bowl, the better you were." Oh yeah, seriously, yeah. The, the, the longer I'm away, the better I was. I could, if for me to get a, to a bowling ball now with my arthritic old body, I mean, I mean, I mean, I could, you know, I could still average two hundred just because of the equipment the way things are. But people have this vision, like for example, there might have been a tournament where I had the last five strikes in a row to win it. Well, now that's up to nine strikes. You know, all of a sudden they had a strike every year. You know, it just, it just, uh, you know, but my focus, one time I, uh, I struck on the 10th frame and, and I won the game uh, 258 to 57. I didn't know I needed three strikes. I never looked at that. I don't, I don't do anything that distracts me from what the object of the game is, which is a knockdown 10 pins. If you don't do it the first ball, do it the second ball. I never looked at the person bowl, I never looked at the score, I didn't see if they got lucky or not. I just, you know, did what I was supposed to do. So you just simplified the game. I, I can... I can honestly tell you I've won 20 tournaments and I could probably name three people I've beat. Didn't make any difference. I never looked at who it was unless it was a Dick Weber when I beat our tournament champions. Uh, you did beat him? 
Oh yeah, I mean, I, 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 I've had three majors. I'd be wherever out of two of them. He was your idol, and he was my idol. Yeah, he always told me. He says, you know, I said, you know, I said, you know, this year the greatest bowler of all time, but your ass can't beat me. You know, I mean, just, <laughs> but it was just that kind of rapport. You know, we were really close, but uh, but it didn't make any difference. It's just like if you really think about it, there's a lot of places where you do comedy, you don't know who the other comedian is or or, or act is. And with me, I, it didn't make any difference who I was bowling. It is, you know, just here's my shot, here's the line. When it's over, it's over. Let's go party. And I remember one time I won a tournament in uh, where I'm from and uh, outside of Belmonteo, and the tournament paid uh, five thousand dollars, and I spent six thousand on a party. You know, it's just because well, we'll get, get it back next week. I mean, that was just the mindset. That's the mindset of people in their twenties. It was just, uh, I was just fun. You know, I mean, it really is. And you know, now. The stories I would get out, and every time somebody says something, it reminds you of a story. I thought they said it and dwell on it, but but I won't be around negative people. I, I just refuse to be around because they'll pull you down, you know. And if they got issues, you know, that's their problems. But they just want people to listen, and, and you can't do it. You can't survive living in the past or being with negative people because it's just such a downer, you know. I'm you know, just uh, you know. How is uh, how's the uh, how's the getting older thing? Well, you know, honestly. A nap more. I, I I still have. Um, how do I want to say this? Like, I have more downtime. You know, I don't have as much energy. I'm more aware. My bottom line is now. I don't want these commercials. All, all the side effects. I quit watching that shit because you get you got all of it. You know, it scares <laughs> you to death. I don't. It, it, but but I'm active. I either walk two miles a day, or when I'm in Florida, I swim two miles a week. So I've always been an active person. It keeps me going. And uh, uh, because of my arthritis, I'm supposed to at some point have degenerative back problems. But uh, whenever I have issues, I just try to work through it. If I get uh, right now, I've slowed my. I used to go four miles an hour. Now I'm down to two and a half miles an hour on my. Uh, when I do the treadmill. It's just got miles. I just don't do as much, but I do something. I'm just more aware of of little things. That I didn't used to be aware of, you know. Does it bother you though? Just... No, uh, well, it, it's just it good. just goes by. The years turn into months. It just goes by so fast. I mean, you start thinking about it. You were at my birthday party last year. Turned seventy. Guess what? In two more months, I'm gonna be seventy-one. Yeah. It's just been it's been ten months. It's going that <laughs> I know, fast. I know. I know. You know, it just has. Does it bother me? I don't. I wouldn't say bother me because I'm a, I'm always a glass half full person. I'm just more aware of it. You know, both my grandfathers made it to 99, my mom's 89, my dad made it to 88, and, and my dad and my grandfather are both drunks. I socialize, I drink, you know, I'm, you know, I'm, but I'm, I'm I control, I think, you know, I'm, I'm sure there's times I don't, but, uh, you know, I'm, I'm just uh, not going to pause that for where I am. I spent uh, my whole life apologizing for, for something, and, and bowling was so image conscious in the 60s, you couldn't even have a girlfriend set in a TV show, you couldn't... Uh, you had to be so aware of everything. You didn't travel. There was girls. You just didn't do those kind of things. And you know, it's just it was it was Ozzy and Harriet. It was uh, you know Ricky and Lucy. It was uh, it was all father knows best and make believe. Oh, sleeping in separate beds. And yeah, that's that's all you were saw on television. You know, you didn't see uh, any of those kind of things. It was uh, it was you know, and now the kids that can turn on uh, stuff on TV. They're seeing that you know. I mean, I can't even relate to it. I mean, I'm the kind of person I know. I had my first cigarette at 16. Of course, I've not, not smoked in 35 years. I had my first cigarette at 16, uh, sex at 18 for the first time, and my first drink at 21. 
Not made up for all of them. But, <laughs> <laughs> you know. Oh, you were you were eighteen when you had sex with a girl for first. Yeah, you know, I remember because it was uh, in the back seat of my car in front of my parents' house, and, and I had a con and I had to drive four miles that thing on before I get to a gas station to take it off. Wait, what? You drove four miles with a condom on? Yeah. Why? Why not? I know what to do. I don't want to leak all over my pants. Oh, you. <laughs> You know, she's she trying to put her panties on, and I'm trying to get to the I'm trying to get to the gas station, and get off, and clean up so I can take her home. <laughs> it's really romantic. Well, you know, I mean, you know, the, the first time is just it's quick and one. It's just you know, it's like you know, bim bam, thank you, ma'am. It was you know, but you know, shit, I didn't know. Yeah. Seriously, I just really, I just, I've always done things the way it's supposed to be done. You know, if you ask me a question. If I don't answer, because because I'm going to tell you, you know. I remember her because when I was 15, I think you did. 15 yeah. or 16, you tracked her down. I did, and then I came with you, and you yeah. went and I, I think you apologized I, 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 to I, her. I went to apologize to her because um, I never told her why I broke up. I went away on a bowling trip and met somebody else that uh, I that I got involved with, and I never told her, and I wanted to apologize, and but because she cried and. Uh, it was a really tough time, and I just felt like crap because I just don't like to hurt anybody's feelings. Like, and I felt really bad. And we went there, and I found her. And she sat there with her husband, and, and, and I'm like, yeah, she went real thrilled. And he, she drove a forklift, uh, you know, their company, and it was like, okay, but that was, you know, that, that's just me. I just really, I will never give a person a reason not to like me because I know you do if you, if you don't, but I will never hurt anybody's feelings on purpose without, you know, if I do or I think I did, I will always be the first to say I'm sorry. Yeah. And who was the girl that you... Her name was Judy Allen. She, you know, she was, uh, I'll never forget, she got a beauty contest with uh, this one time, and there was a girl that did a lot of stuff in Hollywood. Uh, but as soon as they walked out together, I knew who the winner was, and it wasn't Judy. I mean, it was, but, but at least she's, she's a very attractive girl. looked like Lauren Bacall. Mm-hmm. As a young person, really pretty with, with boobs. I mean, she was just a beautiful girl. And uh, I was a mechanic at the bowling lens, and she was bowling, so I would put, you know, notes in the thumb hole. Uh, oh, know, that's sweet. To, to, you know, to, to meet your... But who was the girl that you that you left her for? The, that was... Uh, that was... Uh, her name was Pat... Uh, let's see, what the hell... What was her name? Cause I ended up marrying her. And, oh, shit. Uh, yeah. And then she ended up with Don Carter and he can fill in the gaps. Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, so, in oh. fact, she left me and he left his wife and they got married, you know. And then uh, I ended up staying with him six months later at her house, you know. And this, this, oh, top of Well, you this, stayed oh, at their house? Yeah. That's the weirdest. Oh, and here, anyways, I, for the first time, like, I've never owned a house, okay? Still haven't. And I just, for the first time in my life, I bought a brand new car, a Ford Galaxy with reverberated sound. And it was so coolest car I ever got. Well, naturally, she got the car on the divorce, Ugh. and Don was driving on the King Continental. And so she called me, wondering if I wanted to buy the Ford back. I said, "Fuck you!" I said, "I'd pay for that some bitch once. I'm paying for, <laughs> for it again." Uh, Do you believe? Because Don was Don Carter was the one that told you that you couldn't have a relationship and yeah. and a career. And let me tell you when he told me this. This is really the best part of it because they were involved. I'm 20, 21, 22 years. I don't know. For shit, you know, I'm just one of these. I'm looking at my mom and dad while everybody stays forever, whatever. And they were together, and uh, Don took me to her house to get the divorce papers. And I didn't find out till you know, alone. And he drove me from LA to San Francisco, eight hour drive, and I'm 
crying and distraught and everything else. And he said, man, you know, that's, <laughs> and, and he said, you know, you can't have both. He said, some people get love and some people have career, but both, very few people get both because you have to sacrifice to it. And he was right. You know, you, you know, I just didn't know, you know, and then. You didn't know but, but, but that the, he was. But the whole thing. You didn't know that he was sleeping with your wife. But the, the whole thing is, she did the same thing to him. She met a producer that was bigger than Don Carter. So, you know, it was just, it just, it is what it is. You know, it just is what it is. You know, I'm not judging. It, I'll uh, bet she's not hot shit now. She actually called me about five years ago. Really? Yeah. And uh, she was very emotional like apologizing for how she was younger and oh she did the same thing you did basically yeah she did and she had a bunch of memorabilia wanted to know if I wanted it you know I you know I just basically same thing yeah it was the same thing I said hey you know it's it, it, it don't make no difference you, yeah, the older you get it's just when you're young you know young and naive and you, you think like when I first went on tour and I'd see all this stuff going on with all these people that are and I, I just didn't understand it it just is what it is. Everybody has their own reasons, but uh, you can't judge them. I don't judge anybody for anything. I really don't. And and Don and I remained really good friends after I got over the, the initial shock of what was going on. But uh, you know, she was doing it to him too. She's just you know, everybody's got a hobby. You know, <laughs> that was her hobby. That was her hobby. Her hobby was cheating on people. Yeah, I, yeah, I guess you know, whatever. You know, it's. Uh, or whatever. You know, it just was because uh, it wasn't. You know, I. There was other people on tour that she was seeing at the same time, apparently. And I'm not trying to trash. No, 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 of course. This is just a thing that happened. It's just what happened. Yeah. But, but you, uh, so you retired at 36. Yeah, something like that. 36. Yeah, I retired because uh, number one, um, I lost two kids uh, uh, in a four-year period. My oldest and my youngest, and also the desire to bowl, the desire to do anything. I really self-pity became my best friend. I can tell you the day I turned 30. The day I turned 40, I can't tell you anything in between. I, I, I blanked it out. I, I drank 20 hours a day and, and, and just didn't give a shit. And I was a laughing stock uh, on the tour. And, um, you know, I, and, and after doing this for five, six years, I read an article where this one bowler said, you know, all I know is I don't want to end up like Billy Hardwick. And it really, you know, uh, got my attention. And then when your grandmother, your mom's mom died, I said, whoa, you know, what, what is this shit? And I just uh, regrouped and... Uh, that was like 74 or 5 maybe? Something, yeah. She died? It's some, some, somewhere in that general area. And uh, it was 74, 75. And I regrouped and I went out one winter. I had, still had some contracts, some, some good contracts. And I went out and I uh, made like four TV shows. One Toledo, led the Firestone and lost one game match and said, see, it just wasn't there because uh, uh, I honestly... Believed in my heart, the better I did, something bad was going to happen. I just, I just couldn't take any more at the time. And uh, I uh, actually, after losing two kids, I, I, I hid. I um, really ashamed of myself. In fact, last year is probably one of the best years of my life because I went to one's buried in Louisville, one's buried in Lexington, Tennessee, and I went to both cemeteries. And sat there and just cried and apologized that I wasn't there and, and thank God for letting me live long enough to make peace with uh, tragedies. And so you feel better now? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I do. I, and I really believe it. I, I prayed every night and I watched it, uh, that they're watching over me. And I just, I, I just you know, the, the toughest thing that parents that have lost 
a kid. My interpretation, and, and, and you can't help it, although I couldn't help it anyway, is the, the blame and, and, and the guilt. You, you blame each other, you feel guilty, and you, when you look at each other, it's, there's just a wall that is so tough to overcome, it's very difficult for, uh, um, you know, to, to get past that. You, you see, almost, you know, I'm sure there are people better than me that can do it, I just couldn't get past it. And I went through, uh, I'd say 10 years of my life that I don't remember, and maybe that's why I'm so positive now. I honestly don't remember my 30s. I can't tell you anything about it, except I know I was drunk, passed out somewhere. And really, uh, I was, you know, I was an embarrassment to myself. And uh, but you know, nobody bully ever judged me. They just, you know, they were supportive, and and you know, here I am, just uh, thankful every day. You know, uh, and there's days you feel like you know you, you're not going to make it, but uh, uh, my prayer now is thank God for letting me live long enough to make peace with that and and other things in my life. Uh, last year was, you know one of the best years of my life with a lot of bad things that happened personally because of that you know uh, if you look at your personal life divorce and, and bro all the stuff there's losing the kid is there's no way to describe it how what it does to you and, and, and if i have something that bothers me that it, it really gets my hair saying in is when someone that had been <laughs> I can't talk it is when someone that hasn't been through it says, oh, I understand. You don't. And that, that, that's about one of the few things that will just really get me going is when someone says that to me. I say, you know, you, you know, you know, I'm sorry. And, and then to meet somebody that has and, and the bond you instantly have with that person because of, of what the feeling is. It's, uh, well, I, I, I never forget uh, when uh, when your brother died. Uh, it was in Louisville, and I was driving down the street, uh, looking up in the sky, crying and cussing, you're not going to get me, you're not going to get me. And it wasn't until a few years later when I went and put myself in a hospital. I was a psychiatrist for a couple of weeks. That, um, I was able to, you know, accept and move forward. And there's a famous baseball player for Chicago, White Sox. Uh, I can't remember his name right now. And he's really famous. I, I feel bad. That's my old age sitting in. But uh, and your mom had arranged this, and he came by uh, to talk to me. And because he was a professional athlete, because he had seen a lot and been, you know. You know, Ronnie, he said, you can't do it alone. He said, man, you gotta, you gotta go to God. And I did, you know, I mean, you know, that footprints in the sand, you know. People don't, you know I mean, I don't come across as a religious person, but I pray twice a day, every day, my whole life, I always have. I'm a very strong believer and very, uh, very emotional. I cried when Lassie got lost. I cry at everything. I do, I cry happy, I cry <laughs> sad, I beller, I don't care. You know, I mean, I'm just a very extremely emotional person and, and I like that about myself. I just, uh, you, you, you know, I wear my feelings on my sleeve. You'll always know where I'm coming from. I mean, I couldn't, you know, I couldn't fake anything. I just have to, you know, if you ask me a question, that's what I gotta tell you. I don't wanna, if I don't tell you when you ask me a question, I'm gonna forget. And, I, you know, I can't remember, you know, at least I can remember the truth. If I made up something, 
Uh, you know, I don't see how people can do it. I know people, if their lips are moving, they're lying. You know, they just can't, and I just uh, can't be that way. But I've really, I've, I've had the kind of life, it's peaks and valleys. I'm either on top of the mountain or I'm, I'm, I'm scraping up for air. And, you know, you know, you ride out the peaks. I mean, you enjoy the peaks, you ride out the valleys and, and, and hope for something in between. But, but overall, and, and Lenny said this to me one time, he don't remember it, when this is after, when your brother died. He says, you know, uh, if God didn't think you'd handle it, he wouldn't have put it on you. And it actually made sense coming from the, the biggest tough guy I've ever known and everything else. And, uh, but, but sometimes you can, sometimes you can. I, I said, I went through 10 years where I couldn't handle it. I absolutely gave away. I was number one bowler in the world and I gave it away because I didn't want it no more. It didn't mean anything. I went from being the best and you couldn't beat me to I just didn't give a shit. I went to uh, uh, self-pity. Oh God, I just went, I went, I had a pity party every night. Oh, it was pathetic. You know, I mean, I'm, 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 I'm surprised people put up with me. You know, I guess it's, when you buy their drinks, I guess they'll listen to anything. Right? <laughs> it's funny. I didn't, I didn't, I guess I, I mean, I guess I understand. I guess I had a sense that you were a, a you know, that you were religious in, in, in a sense that, I mean, I, I'm not at all. I mean, I went to Catholic school. I don't yeah. know. Maybe that, you know, I'm just more, I'm just more sciencey, I guess. I mean, not that it has to be one or the other, but I, for me it is. Well, that's fine. Yeah, I, mean, I just, I just have something. I always like, to me, the glass is always half full. Yeah. And this makes me feel good uh, about me, you know, because I went through too many years where I didn't, you know, I mean, I was raised thinking I was a piece of shit. Until I left home and, and came back to it and went through all that stuff and then get accepted by a group of people that all go through the same uh, thing and I'm I'm really just uh, you know I, I'm I am who I am I don't know you know I mean I, I don't apologize for anything I'm you know I mean I'm like uh, count your blessings you know like like Mac Davis stop and smell the roses man look around you know if you look around there's something good oh it's funny my mom just saw him somewhere. And talked to him, and he. I'm supposed to pass on hello. Like yeah. he told, asked about you. And yeah, no, we came to the house. He came to the house. We party. I remember this is really cool because your mom was a really good singer, and Mac Davis, and he had all his band, and they kept going around the room uh, singing songs. Your mom was singing. I just kept passing out the beers, and you know, we just had a really good time. <laughs> yeah, him and Glenn Campbell. Like, Glenn, yeah, yeah, Glenn. I saw Glenn uh, Vegas. I, I, I've been very fortunate. I would get introduced to shows in Vegas, go backstage. Foster Brooks funniest guy in the world never had a drink in his life you know but people would know because he played a drunk yeah you know, a really great comedian and uh, and you know but when when you get to see which now you're seeing with all your travels that everybody you know you got your dreams you chase them or we have know. weirdly similar lifestyles we even though I didn't pursue the same thing a lot of times I'm like oh my god this is what well, this is what well, I mean I fly everywhere yeah um, but uh, you know we're but you know, it's the same kind of thing, and and I guess I didn't realize it. I mean, I, I first of all, I owe my devotion to comedy to you, and my mom, because you you recognized pretty early on that I was very responsive to comedy and Saturday Night Live and Steve Martin, and then you guys totally threw all that stuff at me because you knew I was into it. Yeah, just give you the opportunity. That's all. But but I feel like when I'm on, but I but I, a lot of times when I'm on my on the road, like it's hard for me to imagine. Like I have picked. Even though it's a different thing, the same lifestyle 
or I'm on the road most of the time. Yeah. You know, like just going to do my job in a different city. And the same way that you are, like when I go through towns and I see a bowling center, like if I'm driving through Arizona, I'll go, oh, I'll bet my dad bowled this place. And I'll call you and I go, hey, do you remember Cactus Bowl? And you're like, oh, yeah, in 67, we did this or this. Yeah, yeah. And the same thing for me, it's the same thing for me with like comedy clubs now. Like, oh, yeah, I've been to, you know. I was on the road 40 weeks a year in hotels for over 20 years. You know, and now the, the traveling thing. And in fact, I drove for the first seven years because I was afraid to fly. And it's like, and you always want your kids to do better. Now you're flying Europe, all these different places and all the stuff that you're doing. It's just on a bigger scale. You know, it's just like you know, as a bowler, you know, baseball, football, basketball players made more, more money, but we did the same thing without the, the same compensation. So what you're doing, it really is, and this is the first time you and I have ever really talked. Like last night was the first, but this first time, you've never heard these things from me. I've never, I'm telling you things I've never told anyone. I've heard a lot of stories though. Yeah, a little bit, but here and there, but never in, in this context. Oh, you know, it's so hard. The shitty thing is you just get so caught up with work. And so, you know, I mean, we've talked a couple, you know, we've talked once a week. We do, yeah. For years. Yeah, we do. And I know, you know, and I feel, and I'm sorry, and I feel bad. You know, my mom has the same complaint too that I'm just, I'm in, I'm so much in like, hey, uh, you know, I'm working, you know, I love you, but I, you know, I can't really talk right now. Understand. And, uh, you know, so it's, it's not that I don't want to talk more. Well, let me tell you the problem I have with you. Yes. Okay. I'm, and this okay. is the truth. This okay. is the truth. Okay. Now, your brother, you know, we talk, we have conversations. I'm a talker, you're a listener. If I don't ask you the right question, you don't say shit. Well, because it's not, you know, you and my mom no. have the same complaint that I don't, you're like, why don't you ever tell me you're doing anything? Because like, well, I just okay. don't like talking no, about and it. I, and I know the answer to that because it was the same way. It's like me talking about customers at the bowling center. What you do for a living, you take matter of factly. It'd be just like if you, uh, like if I had my, dogs, my dad's job, you're painting or, 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 or doing yeah. something else. Come on, talking about it. Nobody wants to hear it. Well, as, as living in Memphis, Tennessee, in, in this smaller world, and I get this. You know, you're, you're sitting there doing Craig Ferguson and you're doing Jimmy Fallon and you're, you're doing all these things. Well, that's fascinating. And when I watch those shows, that's how I heard about you because your ass don't tell me nothing. I know, sir. You know, so I'm glad it's with your mom too. You know, at least I know it's not just me. I've it's, not, it's not just you. But, but, I took, but see, you have to understand something. And I told you this when you came here to visit. I don't care if I see you 24 minutes, 24 hours, or 24 days. It doesn't make any difference. I, don't, I just need quality time, not quantity time. I, I really, and I totally understand because I did the same thing. I mean, I used to go to California a couple weeks a year and see my parents, and then I would cut it to a week, and then, and, and as it progressed and things didn't really change, I got to where I, you know, uh, 24 or 48 hours, I'd always have someplace I had to be. But, you know, you, you're always attentive, you've got a great mind, but you're a tremendous listener. You're, if we're opposite, I'm the worst listener in the world. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm serious, I will sit there and just forget everything but uh and you were a really good listener but if i i mean i like need to make a list of questions or watch you on tv because i get your name in my tv where everything you're doing uh, you know i've seen that episode of uh where where they they go to fort lauderdale for the, the oh married with children oh uh, they see that same one all the time <laughs> i know so, I, I get like a 10 cent check in the mail every every uh, like twice uh, a year yeah from those 1996 yeah but i but no you no you're not you're not a, you're not a conversationalist you're a listener, and you, but you've got so many things going. Usually there's always a, a, a computer in front of you, a phone stuck to your ear. There's always something going, but I totally understand it. Mine was just on a smaller scale. When I walk into the bowling center, there's a line. It's either people that, that have questions. they want. Like I met with my employees today for an hour and a half, and, and we just go through what's being on. And me being away from that, because I did try to retire, and I, 
I wasted 10 years of my life of, of, of not understanding it and not living it. And then I tried to make up for it by retire, retiring, which I, I'll never retire. I don't want to retire. I'm going to do this. Sit. Oh, I don't blame you. That's not retiring. Not doing anything just sounds horrible. Oh, I was, yeah. Because I'm used to go, since I'm 16, I'm used to going out at 5 o'clock at night. Now, when I moved to Florida, I'm home at 5 o'clock. What the hell am I doing? You know, I'm sitting there. Uh, it is pretty remarkable, though, when, when you consider that when you, you retired at 36 and still they named you as the 13th 12th 12th sorry I no, no. They, they, there was two Paul the, the 13th was the last hundred years yeah uh, and the 12th was PBA oh okay of, yeah, yeah. So. so you're 12th of of all bowlers yeah, ever over hundred years yeah that's pretty yeah. that's pretty well, insane because you, know, you only you only bowled for 17 years yeah well, and the whole the thing, the, the, one of the things about it too is there's a lot of guys like I used to uh, when I used to all these parties because I was the you know Sultan of Suds and King of Partiers. I always bring the press with me, you know, let them, you know, and the press in those days they'd party with us. They didn't write about it. They wanted to be oh yeah part of the thing, you know. And I can promise you, there, there's a lot of buried votes. I could have made tenth anyway if somebody <laughs> would have lived long enough to vote. <laughs> That's hilarious. That's really funny. Uh, anyway, but well, it was fun. I um, I'm gonna we'll wrap it up now, but I, I'll definitely um, I'll definitely come back sooner than than later because so, it's yeah. fun. I really I do love catching up with you, and 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 you know I owe pretty much everything. I see so much of. You know, you and and my mom in things that I that I do now sometimes that it's you know I really I appreciate all the encouragement and I appreciate I just I never you know I don't know I guess because because you guys always said you have to follow what you want to do like I, I just I just never occurred to me that I couldn't do stuff and so that's why I just you know I don't know I, I'm I'm the same way you are like I'll I'll fail at something and then. I'm upset about it, and then a day later, I'm like, "All right, well, I got to yeah. figure this out now." Yeah. You, you can't live in the past; you got to go forward. You know, but I, it's, but it's I obviously, amazing, you, you talk about your mom that we are so opposite, and, and, we, and we bucked heads a lot. Obviously, we're not together, but we did buck heads a lot. But uh, the, 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 your brother was the main, the, the, the switch or the, 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 that affects whatever. But no, I have all the respect in the world for her. I, she's a great mom; she did a hell of a job with you. But you are like both of us, you know. I mean, she was really bright, which you are. And, oh, you mean and, the, okay? You mean the, ba- the the brother that died? Yeah, the infant brother that died. Yeah, I don't think I really ever knew that. You did. I mean, I knew he. I knew I have a. I knew I had a brother, but I don't think I knew that that was the thing that drove a wedge into the. Well, yeah, because yeah, because I you know wow Eddie's I'd lost Billy Junior. I was in Japan. And I get a call at three o'clock in the morning. My seven-month-old uh, son had died of crib death. And by the time I got home, they had to keep the coffin open. He was always changing colors. And oh my just, God! It, was, uh, it took me twenty-four hours to get home, and that's what I had to walk into. And uh, and 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 you know that led to divorce. And then uh, then your mom and I got together, and and it was like you know wow. And then so Billy Junior. Obviously, I knew this, but there's just people listening. Billy Junior. was a previous marriage. Yes. And then I have a half brother named Eddie, yes. who's an amazing guy. Yeah. Um, who's a couple years older than I am, <clears throat> and then you, and then so you married my mom, and then I was born, and then you had another son. Yeah, another son. And and the, here's the thing about it too is uh, the doctor didn't want your mom to have any more kids because she's only four ten and a half, you know. I mean, it, it, so that was it. So in our seventh month, seven and a half months pregnant, the 
um, didn't want to have any more. So I went in the hospital, had a vasectomy um, because that, that was going to be it. And five days later, the baby came out arm first. Baby only lived two days and almost killed your mom. And I can't have any more kids. Was, uh, so I went through a four year period of losing my oldest, going through divorce, getting remarried, and then doing this. And I just, I just fell apart. I just, I, I really, you know, I, I, I wouldn't have stayed with me. You know, I mean, regardless, I wasn't strong enough. And, and you, my, that was, that was the straw. It really was because your mom, her family, the Bullington, everything was really, um, you know, it's just a great family. You know, your uncle, uh, your grandparents, you know, there, there was, it was just, you know, just, I just wasn't strong to do it. And until I went for help and put myself in a hospital, you know, and for a couple of weeks. And that, wow, you know, I'm not so bad. I'm not crazy. Shit happens to people. And, uh, you know, I mean, it, it, that, that was a struggle. There were other issues, obviously, it's not, but, but there were other issues, but not worth talking about, not worth reliving because I wish her nothing but the best. And uh, she's done a great job with you. And you and Eddie, I mean, in my phone, I get one picture, you you and Eddie. That's the only pictures I, that I carry. And uh, I love you both so much. And you're, it's amazing how you're both so much like me. Eddie and I, I didn't see him for 15 years. And it's like I spent my whole life with him. You know, and you and I, when we talk, I mean, I always say, are you, are you there? Because you, you was listening. listening. Oh, yes. Yeah. But it's really, uh, you know. <laughs> so I mean, I mean, it, it, when you look at overall, <laughs> you do this thing where you <laughs> what You'll, you do this thing where you go. Uh, you know, I'd, I'd love to come visit, uh, but I don't want to be a bother. And then, uh, and then I'll just kind of go, mm-hmm. yeah. And you go, no, that's the part where you're supposed to say, yeah, yeah. you wouldn't be a bother. Of course I want you to come yeah, visit. And you go, yeah. come on, I'm a fisherman. I'm fishing for compliments over yeah, here. Well, what I said at the bowling center, Arthur and I walked up, you know, and I says, you guys are really going to miss me, you know. And I walked around yeah. and said, excuse me, hello, you know, response. Yeah. You know, say something, you know. But you, you don't, you're really bad about that. I'm, you know, I'm a fisherman, you know, because I don't read lips or minds, okay? So when I say something, it's like, you know, oh, gee, Dad, even though, you know, I, what am I going to do? I'm not going to, you know, I really, the traveling part is... Uh, I, I just, I, you know, I'm not near what you have, but also at your age. I mean, I was on the road, i say 40 weeks a year at hotels and traveling, a lot of one night stands and exhibitions. I mean, I would do for $500 a day, it, it would take me uh, two days to get there and even just to speak for a couple hours at a b- banquet in some of the smallest towns in the country. Because big city has other sports, but you go to some of these uh, real little towns. I mean, I, there was a place in, um, in the Rising Sun, Indiana, and to drive up from Louisville, get my car on a boat to take it across into from Kentucky to Indiana at a hardware store that had four lanes in it. Holy shit! You know, and that was just uh, you know, but that's but that's what it was. You know, that's how you made your living. I say, I say, bowlers know who bowlers are, and, and but we could go anywhere because you know, um, you know, it, it's like uh, a lot of people trying to really be polite. You know, they'll they'll say, well, this is Billy Hardwick, the you know. Pro bowler and you know, so like that don't mean that that's okay. I keep trying to say okay, understand something. If they're not in their sixties, they got no clue because I haven't done it for thirty five years. Right. Uh, the TV now it's not that big a thing, and and it's it's just not like what it used to be. But I mean, they mean well, but you know, it's not. Uh, it it's what you know it is what it is. And I really, I I feel blessed and fortunate, and I say you uh, you and Eddie are 
my life, and that's just it. And I got two great daughters, two stepdaughters that I've never called stepdaughters. I love, and I got a, I got four kids, and, and we had 28 people from the family all came from my uh, party last year. Well, Chloe and I've had a great time just in the oh, couple she's days. a sweetheart. Yeah. She is, you know, she she's a natural beauty. I love so many that she's personable. She don't need makeup. She's just beautiful. She just wakes up and she's beautiful, and uh, you know, and she's very very nice. Great legs. <laughs> All right, take it easy. I'm done. I mean, that's a compliment. I mean, <laughs> no, you, thank you, know, you. Would you rather me tell somebody else to tell it to you? <laughs> no, you know? I love it. That's <laughs> great. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, it's funny because you told her that at the at the lunch table today. You're like, I I wanted to tell you. I didn't want us to be alone when I told you that I thought you were pretty because I didn't think that. I thought that would be creepy. Inappropriate. Yeah, I did, yeah, yeah I uh, because, uh, but uh, but anyway, um, I love you so much, and uh, it's been so great hanging out. And and I, I'm I you know now that you're back in Memphis, uh, out of the, basically uh, elderly Siberia of Florida, yeah. like like it's fun. It'll you, you know you be made fun that, to come you back. made that real clear. You said you know I, Dad, I probably won't get down to Florida, but Memphis, yeah, because that's just uh, it's three hours. Yeah, it, and it's yeah. it's hard to <clears throat> getting to Tampa is a fucking pain in the ass because yeah. it's all, from there to an hour to that. You know, I, yeah, 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 yeah. So. Um, so, <laughs> thanks for making it more convenient for me to come. Well, but it, but it works for me too. You understand something? I've got uh, seven grandkids here, and one more on the way. It's it's uh, you know six hours away. Tell them I do in Florida. You know, I got all this stuff, and because uh, both the daughters have you know the, the six. Eddie has one, and getting ready to have another one. And yeah. I don't need to be down there. And I really, it's a nice place. It's a good place to visit. And but uh, basically, I'm going to be here at least eight nine months here and more if I can, because I just love it. I'm going to come give you a hug. Hi, buddy. Love, love you. you. Love you, man. Mm. Mm. So wonderful. It's so good catching up. Have a beer now. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Now leaving Nerdist.com. Enjoy your burrito. This episode of the Nerdist Podcast is brought to you by the amazingly hilarious Comedy Bang Bang every Friday at 10, 9 central on IFC. In 2001, less than a month after the 9-11 attacks, the U.S. and allied forces invaded Afghanistan. The goal was simple, hunt down al-Qaeda and its leader, Osama bin Laden, and unseat the Taliban government that sheltered him. But even though the Taliban was quickly removed, negotiating an end to the war turned out to be a much bigger challenge. Despite some of the world's best negotiators working tirelessly for peace, all sides were never able to come to a negotiated agreement. And in 2021, 20 years after being ousted from power, the Taliban took back control of Afghanistan. So why did some of the world's smartest and most experienced negotiators fail for 20 years to mediate a peace deal in Afghanistan? The Afghan Impasse, a special seven-episode edition of The Negotiators, a podcast from Doha Debates and Foreign Policy, looks back on the players, politics, and strategies that contributed to one of the biggest failures in modern peace negotiations. You can listen to The Negotiators, The Afghan Impasse, exclusively on Wondery Plus. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app, Apple Podcasts, or Spotify.